This coverage is live and uncensored. So if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 194 for Thursday, August 8th, 2013. I'm your host, Rich. Our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. You can also hit up our feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. All right. Six, well, yeah, roughly six episodes away after after tonight's episode, we'll be down to five. Before we hit the big MTR 200, we got a lot of things we got to discuss with regards to housekeeping, so I want to get that out of the way first. And um, as usual, just a quick reminder, you can listen to the show live by going to mtrlive.com and joining the chat room there. And of course, make sure you mute either the Mixler feed or the GFQ feed so you do not experience any echoes. You can also listen to the show via Blog Talk Radio by heading over to blogtalkradio.com forward slash my take radio. But that feed is definitely of lower quality. Uh, the Blog Talk Radio chat is open, but I advise everybody to go to the chat on mtrlive.com. Also, do not use the Mixler chat. It leads to just different people chatting in different rooms and we're not able to, at least me personally, I can't just multitask in every damn room. It's a little, it's a little too stressful. The bulk of the, of the talking goes down at the uh, GFQ chat room. So make sure you guys go there by hitting either mtrlive.com or you can go to gfqlive.tv or of course, um, you know, just hang out, listen to the show also via your uh, mobile device. You can do that by calling into the call-in number and not hitting option one. I always forget to tell you guys about that because it's one of those things that kind of slips through the cracks. But yes, you can call in uh, via your mobile device, whatever it may be, and just don't hit option one so you don't enter the caller queue and you'll be able to listen to the show that way as well. Uh, quick reminder for those of you that are tuning in that are brand new, you can access archives of the show by going to Stitcher, uh, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, and TuneIn Radio. Of course, you can also listen to it on the GFQ network in syndication as well. All right, so let's get into some of the stuff for this week because there's a lot of stuff that needs to be discussed. Uh, primarily, um, some changes that we're doing on the My Take Radio website. Uh, we actually added a newsletter subscription feed, which we're going to start implementing going forward. Um, a couple of reasons for this. Number one, I got the inspiration from my buddy Josh Wood at MMA Valor, who mentioned you know that people sometimes can't make it to the site or they want to read certain things. 
So what we're going to try and test out is an MTR newsletter, which can work a couple of different ways. You can subscribe and get all the news from the site, or you can get newsletters broken up by the the stuff we cover. So if you're an MMA fan, you, you only want our MMA news and our content, you can subscribe to that. Same thing with wrestling, comics, video games, entertainment, etc. And if you want just show news or important announcements, you can do that as well. Like I said, you can um, subscribe to that by hitting the form on the right-hand side on MyTakeRadio.com, and you'll be able to subscribe to the MTR newsletter. We're going to try and send one out at most once a week. We don't want to spam people's mailboxes with stuff. Um, at times, it may go into twice a week if it's something of huge importance. But again, we're trying to build that up. So if you want to help us out, make sure to fill out the newsletter subscription fee. I mean, subscription sheet, excuse me, subscription fee. Fuck out of here. Not charging for that. Anyway, fill that out and um, we'll try and start getting some newsletters out to you guys. We got a ton of new content on the site, um, stuff, new gaming content. I'm actually working on a Blu-ray review for G.I. Joe Retaliation which has proven to be a lot more time-consuming than I would have thought, but that review will be up this week. Also, um, any caller that calls in tonight for any of the segments, I'm going to give them the UFC fan guide. I figured uh, we got that at Book Expo America, and I figure we'll give it away to whoever calls in. Obviously, um, you know, MTR staff are excluded, but... If you want to call in and add to the show, 347-324-3541. And if you're the first caller on air, we will be giving you the UFC fan book uh, that we picked up at Book Expo America. All right. So before I get into this week's show, I want to talk about something that um, that pretty much really irritated the shit out of me. And it's a little it's it's going into off air territory and I'm going to. I'm going to add a disclaimer first because I know this individual and I know the site that they represent and I want to let them know that I am not throwing you under the bus, not because I can't, because I gladly can, but just out of professional courtesy to the people that we both mutually know. Simple as that. Otherwise, I would I would fling you under this bus that I'm about to get in and start rolling. So. If you guys publish any content on the internet, whether it's photos, videos, whatever the case may be, we all know that some of the stuff is subject to plagiarism, subject to shit getting stolen. So we actually got to experience that firsthand this past week. And we've dealt with similar situations like this before, whether it's people taking our photos, that's why I watermark them, or um, people taking certain pictures we use on the site that are created for us, things like that. And usually I tried, I, you know, I remove the copy and the, the, um, the copy and paste block on the site because I like our content to be shared and I like people to really, you know, just have fun with our stuff. But this particular instance, it was something that was so small and insignificant that this person could have really taken the time to put out their own content if you guys have been following the site this week, you know that we published a, a quick blurb about uh, JBL showing up in WWE 2K14. Now, obviously, the 2K crew is trying to get every bit of news out there with regards to 2K4, WWE 2K14. So, you know, everything that they put out is big news. I figured I'd share it with you guys, given the fact that, obviously, we got gamers and wrestling fans in our audience. So, 
we shared the video of JBL making the announcement on the top of Mount Blanc and, um, you know, wrote a little blurb, nothing crazy. Like I said, we just want to get the stuff out there to you guys. So, um, I published a post and four or five hours later, give or take, I saw, uh, this individual share their, their post which had a similar title to the very post that we have on the site. So I, I'm like, ah, eh, you know, coincidence, it happens. But given that I know this individual, I, I checked out the article and pretty much with some, with the littlest of tweaks, it is pretty much the exact same article that we published. Now, three reasons why I didn't do what I usually do. Uh, number one, myself and this individual both have mutual acquaintances, and I know that this would have created a significant rift. Number two is because, you know, the the, the story by the time I noticed the, the quote-unquote plagiarism had become public knowledge, so I know that this individual would have been like, yeah, well, it's it's public knowledge, blah, blah, blah. So I decided not to do it. And obviously, number three, I know myself, and it wouldn't have just been like, hey, buddy, you know, you kind of borrowed our content it would have been like you motherfucker you plagiarize my shit and if you do it again i'm gonna go to your house rip your arms off and beat you with them on some jay and silent bob shit so i decided to take the high road this time but yeah sure as shit i am not a fan listen it's the internet people borrow copy and paste shit all the time people don't source their stuff we try to source as many things as possible for that reason, we want to give people credit where credit is due. If it's something that's public, like an image from WWE.com, etc., we try and link back to it where where we can. Uh, same thing, we we try to do it. But if you can't come up with with fi- a fifty word blurb for a fucking video, that just leads me to believe that you are an uncreative, no talent jerk job. Simple as that. If you can't come up with a blurb for a fucking video. You're, you're, you're in the wrong line of work. There are times I stare at my screen trying to come up with a decent headline for an article. And sometimes I just go, Hey, here's some screenshots for this game. Check this shit out. And that's it. Just because it's not worth it. Our job as generators of content is to get the stuff out to you. We try to make it as entertaining and as engaging as possible, but sometimes it's not even a matter of making it super entertaining. Sometimes it's just getting the stuff out there. Uh, you know, sometimes we put up trailers and occasionally I'll write a nice little blurb about the trailer. Sometimes I, I honestly, I'll be a hundred percent honest. Don't give a shit about the blurb because the only thing you guys are going to care about is the trailer. This is just the way things are. And you know, some people expect, you know, these long drawn out descriptions. Listen, if it's a, if it's a three minute trailer and I think it sucks, I'll say, hey, I don't think it looks this good. If it looks okay, I'll say it looks okay, and maybe I'll add my two cents, maybe I won't. But it's it's never, it's not always going to be, you know, a 14-page a uh, diatribe. It's going to be something sometimes small and to the point, and other times it'll be lengthy. But the, the this plagiarism shit, I was I was genuinely pissed off. And I was particularly pissed off because, like I said, it wasn't the fact that you borrowed the content, just the fact that it was something so minuscule. You know, my my, you know, a baby could have came up with the same paragraph, but it is what it is. It's one of those things that really, um, you know, got under my skin. The other thing, and this isn't non-show related, I wanted to talk about 
was a story going on here in New York City uh, regarding a 14-year-old kid who was killed by police recently. Now, the reason I want to talk about this is that there there's a couple of different things that bother me about this story. Uh, number one is... First and foremost, that when this story was published in our local newspaper, the New York Daily News, uh, the comment section was loaded with a cavalcade of just comparisons to Trayvon Martin, etc., etc., all kinds of shit. And I want to get into it again. This is this is my opinion. My opinion doesn't reflect the opinion of the rest of the MTR staff. So if you're easily offended, you know, X out and keep it moving. But anyway, so this 14 year old kid was out. And about at three o'clock in the morning this past Sunday, turns out the kid is opening fire on another individual running down the street, chasing a guy down, shooting at him. Kid you not 14 years old, three o'clock in the morning. Just listen to all this three o'clock in the morning, chasing the guy down, shooting at him. And what ends up happening is two cops, rookie cops, they show up, they see the guy chasing the other guy and they go, hey, stop. You know, put down your weapon, put your hands up. Kid decides, all right, I'm going to be, I'm going to go out like um, Queen Latifah and set it off and points the gun at the cops. Big mistake. Cops open fire, bullet hits the kid in the jaw, and you're dead. Simple as that. So, of course, the moment this happens, everybody's on their high horse. All these, all the um, keyboard co- uh, political activists, all the, the slacktivists, the keyboard warriors, they come out, oh, you know, the fucking cops, they should be held responsible, yada fucking yada. First off, let's let's think about this realistically. At 14 years old, at 3 o'clock in the morning, you should be doing one of three things. Either playing on your Xbox, looking for porn on the internet, or sleeping. You're running the streets at 3 a.m. shooting at somebody... And when you point the gun at the cops, you're going to ask yourself, is this a good idea? Clearly, it's not. So people were just really, really adamant about, oh, you know, this is this is like the Trayvon Martin thing. And it's like, no, the fuck it's not. This 14 year old individual um, had a previous gun charge for shooting another 15 year old kid in the shoulder. He was scheduled to be appearing in court this month not to mention that he also had a charge of gun possession so one charge of shooting an individual same age plus a gun possession charge and of course the media resorts to using a picture of the kid when he is 10 years old of course you're gonna of course i'm gonna feel bad if you show me a picture of a kid who you know should be should be selling candy door to door and not the not the picture of the 14 year old kid who was you know bucking shots at the guy at 3 a.m. on a Sunday. It's ridiculous. You know it it's sad that as you know these police officers had to shoot a child, regardless of the fact, regardless of whether he's 14. 15, 12, you're shooting a child. It, it's going to fuck you up. But the fact is, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Your child shouldn't be outside. So the, the kids, I believe her his aunt was like, oh, these cops should be brought up on charges, yada, yada, yada. And then the mother was like, you know, my son wasn't the best individual, but you know, uh, he didn't he didn't deserve that. Oh, he didn't deserve that, you 
fucking piece of shit you. Let's think about this logically. At 14 years old, if I entertained the concept of going out at 3 a.m., the first question I'd be asked is, where the fuck was I going? And boy, would I, I better have a good excuse to say where I'm going. Otherwise, it's a bona fide slap in the back of the head. These are the facts of life. If your kid is out at 3 a.m. and as a parent, you're aware of it and he already has two gun charges. You fucking suck as a parent. These are the these are the times where I feel that that motherfuckers should be sterilized. <laughs> I'm serious. Like 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 people who put out who, who crank out these kids and I, and and this goes back to what I've said before. My you know, my mom, she was a career foster parent. And nothing is more uh horrifying as a, as an individual than to watch a, an infant go through drug withdrawal. So seeing shit like that for me personally validates my opinion because i've seen firsthand what would what these you know what these poor drug addicted infants have to go through whether it's withdrawal whether it's brain damage or whatever type of of illnesses or ailments these children have to go through you know it's it's these are individuals that should not procreate (laughs) i'm sorry it is what it is call it whatever you want apply whatever religious connotations you choose these are the facts if you've never watched a, an infant that's weeks old go through drug withdrawal, you know, it is what it is. Now, uh, citing uh, GFQ viewer 471 in the GFQ chat, uh, why always kill, why not shoot the kid in the shoulder? I un- Understandable, totally valid question, but I'm sure that the distance allowed and these rookie cops probably aren't marks weren't marksmen. I'm not saying that they couldn't have shot him in the leg or in the shoulder, but there are factors to consider distance. They were rookies and the kid pointed a gun at them. So that's, that's kind of where it falls into, into, I think if the kid might've been closer and they would have seen he was a kid, maybe you could have shot him in the shoulder. Maybe you could have shot him in the leg, but not for nothing. Even if you shoot somebody in the leg, if you hit a major artery, they're going to bleed out. You know, that's it, it. Every, every case is different. I'm not, I'm not saying that the kid should have been killed. That's not where I'm going. Where I'm going is the fact that people get on the, on this high horse, trying to make it seem like it was a bigger thing than it was. If you point a gun at somebody, if you point a gun at a law enforcement officer and, and they shoot at you or you get injured, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, 471 says the Aurora killer had an automatic weapon and they managed to subdue, subdue him without firing a shot. Again, valid points. I'm not I'm not disputing that. I'm definitely not disputing that. But I'm sure when, with the Aurora killer, there were better trained officers and and more officers involved in that particular incident. This is a kid chasing a guy shooting at him already. When the cops pulled up and they're like, hey, stop you know, drop your weapon. And again, I'm citing also that they were rookie cops. Again, no kid deserves to be killed. I'm not saying that what I'm my, my, my ang my frustration about that new story stems from the fact that a people were instantly looking for, for the Trayvon Martin comparison as if to see if Reverend Al Sharpton would come out of the woodwork 
and advocate about this, which look, nobody, everybody's entitled to mourn their child. That's one thing. You know, the mother was like, look, my son wasn't the best, but, and no parent should have to deal with the, with the, with the death of their child. Again, understandable, but, and, and this is the, this is the, the, the elephant in the room. What, why your 14 year old child is out at 3 a.m. Whether, whether you had control of it or not, that that's a separate, you know, that's a separate issue to discuss. But the fact is you're a parent and your 14 year old kid is out with out in the streets at 3 a.m. with two existing gun charges. That's all I'm saying that, that that's that's my, my that's my big thing. The killing of a child, you know, I'm not cool with that any which way you slice it. But the rationale that people use to justify some of these things just it boggles my mind. That's what I'm saying. Like, how are you going to say that, you know, the, the, the cops should be, should go to jail if the kid was pointing a gun at them. And, and here's what, if slick could do me the favor, slick, go on, on the New York daily news website and, um, see if you can find the article and post it in the chat, because in the article, they show surveillance footage of the kid running down the street, gun drawn shooting, you know, to shoot at this other person. It's a crazy, crazy story. You know? It's, you know, Mortis says the cop did nothing wrong. He did what he was trained to do. It was the kid or it was him. Like I said, my, my frustration stems from automatically um, adding, you know, using the, the Trayvon Martin trial as the foundation for whatever argument you're going to pose on the Internet. That's number one. Number two, my my frustration with the media automatically plucking out the little 10 year old picture, you know, cause if you show a picture of a kid and he's 10 years old, same thing with Trayvon Martin, you show the, the, this young, fo- this young child and you automatically are like, ah, oh, damn, you know, your, your, your first notion is, Hey, that's that, 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 you know, that's insane. That's a crime, but you don't show the picture of, of this individual, you know, two weeks prior or a month prior. And that's, that's a media thing. That's all I'm saying. Again, my, my, my views, my take doesn't, reflect what my staff thinks but it's just it's just a crazy crazy news story that i wanted to share with you guys because it just it just boggles my mind and if you guys want to see the level of of just neanderthal thinking do yourselves a favor go to nydailynews.com that's our new york newspaper here and just pluck out some of the craziest stories and read the comments section it is true it is in some instances cringeworthy Yet in other instances, complete and utter comedy. What goes on seriously is, but I figured I'd, I'd share my thoughts with you guys on that because it's some, it's some wild shit. Anyway, let's switch gears. Let's get into some of tonight's topics. Uh, we're going to talk about the, this past weekend's UFC event. We're going to talk about WWE raw. I am going to share my thoughts on Kurt Angle's latest arrest. We're going to talk about that. We have some gaming news, we got some movie news, and as always, we will take your calls, 347-324-3541. Again, 347-324-3541. All right, let's get the ball rolling and talk about some MMA, shall we? All right, so let's get the ball rolling with UFC 163, which was surprisingly crazy. 
some of some of the the outcomes from some of these fights were were just insane. Uh, first up, I did want to discuss uh, Sheila Gaff's fight with Amanda Nunes, which was probably one of the most vicious women's fights I've seen in the UFC, uh, especially with the way it went down. Uh, both ladies, uh, Sheila Gaff and Amanda Nunes, are are no joke. They they've been in the game a while, and um, it's crazy because Amanda Nunes succeeds in taking her down in the first round and mounts devastating, devastating ground and pound, just um, dropping elbow after elbow on Sheila Gaff's face. Herb Dean had to step in. Amanda Nunez won that fight via TKO in the first round. Truly, truly violent. Um, Vinny Magalhaes, of course, known for his tremendous Brazilian jiu-jitsu background, came in um, to take on Anthony Paroche in a light heavyweight tilt, which ended with Anthony Paroche detonating his fist on the side of fucking Min- Vinny Magalhaes' face. And, uh, yeah, that was that. And it's funny because, um, you know, Magalhaes tried to, to, to go with a triangle, and um, it was just Anthony Perroche just fist after fist. It was it was ridiculous. Uh, Anthony Perroche pretty much murdered, death, killed Vinny Magalhaes. Uh, KO, 14 seconds of the first round incredibly vicious and it was just a an awesome fight to see and it's funny because I, I like I like Vinny Magalhaes I think um he's incredibly talented he has um like I said he's a tremendous jiu-jitsu practitioner but you can't you can't block a fist to the face with a triangle choke not happening uh Talis Latis made his return to the UFC taking on Tom Kong Watson um Latis actually looked pretty solid in his fight secured the victory via unanimous decision uh, again, uh, a nice, nice comeback for Talis Latis. He looked good. Um, I'm sure he hopes to stay in the UFC a lot longer this time. He looked, he looked solid at middleweight in that fight. Um, definitely, um, Con- Tom Kong Watson was looking for, to to really KO Talis Latis, especially in that second round. Just ridiculous. But Latis looked uh, substantially better and took the fight via unanimous decision. Um, one fight that a lot of people were saying was highway fucking robbery was Phil Davis and Lyoto Machida. Machida looked very good in in every one of his rounds, but it turns out that Phil Davis got the victory via unanimous decision. Boggled my fucking mind, especially when Machida was the aggressor. You know, he had a, a lot of flurries um, in the first round. Definitely very aggressive in the second. He landed a really big right hand in the second, at which point Phil Davis actually might have got hurt and took Machida down. But um, again, uh, Machida using his elusive style, uh, counter-striking with Phil Davis, and it, that wasn't the case. Uh, to see Phil Davis, I, I like Phil Davis. Mr. Wonderful's a, a cool fighter. I like watching him fight, but but that was a fucking robbery. Uh, compounded with the fact that it was a unanimous decision. Had it been split... I would have felt a little better about it, but you know, it was it was ridiculous that it it ended in a unanimous decision. I was I was dumbfounded. It was completely fucking horrifying. Um, the main event was probably what redeemed this card the most. Jose Aldo taking on the Korean Zombie Chan Sung Jung, and it was Jose Aldo coming in there swinging from start to finish. Uh, the end of this fight was insane because. Jose Aldo, known for his devastating kicks, broke his foot in the first round. Just just listen to what I'm saying. Broke his foot in the first round, 
This fight went four rounds. That's all I'm saying. So Jose Aldo, broken foot and all, taking the fight to the Korean Zombie. Korean Zombie also broke his foot in that fight. But not only that, he actually, his shoulder got dislocated in the fourth round. And, um, you know, the, with the shoulder out of, his, out of his socket, he actually tried to pop it back in mid-fight, which was ridiculous. Jose Aldo saw the blood in the water and proceeded to kick the Korean zombie in the shoulder, at which point, you know, Korean zombie fell against the cage. Jose Aldo was all over him, pounded him out, took the fight via TKO at two minutes in the fourth round. But check this out. Warriors, these guys are. Breaks his foot in the first round, Jose Aldo. The Korean zombie dislocates his shoulder, keeps fighting, and tries to pop his shoulder back in. It was it was ridiculous. It was definitely a solid card. It w- was it one of the uh, a great card. It was a it was a solid card. Um, that bullshit with Machida and Davis definitely didn't do the card any favors. But um, Jose Aldo, Korean Zombie, uh, redeemed it. It was insane to say the least. So let's get into the other MMA news. Of course, fight bonuses were handed out. Knockout of the night went to Anthony Parosh. Submission of the night went to Sergio Moraes. Fight of the night went to Ian McCall and Iliarde Santos. Now, with regards to the 205-pound UFC light heavyweight division, all signs point to the winner of Glover Teixeira and Ryan Bader challenging uh, the winner of, of course, um, uh, ah, brain fart. John Jones and Alexander Gustafson. So there you go. Whoever wins from the Teixeira Bader fight will win, will meet the winner of the Jones Gustafson fight. So definitely going to be, um, either, either fight is going to be solid. I think, um, in Glover Teixeira's case, he, he definitely can pose a, a nice threat to John Jones, but you know, we still got a ways to go. UFC fight night 28 goes down on September 4th. And when these guys are going to meet, Jones and Gustafson will be meeting at UFC 165. Speaking of UFC 165, a new fight is actually on that card. Roland DeLorme will be meeting Bruce Leroy, Alex Caceres. Um, UFC 165 goes down September 21st at the Air Canada Center. Also on that card, uh, Eddie Wineland, Henan Barrow for the interim bantamweight title. Matt Mitrion will be meeting Brendan Schaub. Pat Healy is taking on Khabib. Uh, Nurmagomedov. Uh, Francis Carmont and Constance Philippou is are is going to be a solid, solid fight. Ivan Menjamar is taking on Kid Yamamoto. I am super pumped for that fight. Um, also, Mark Bocek is taking on Mitchell Prezeris, which I, Mark Bocek definitely looking to get back on the UFC title radar. I'm hoping to see some some solid fights on this card. Like I said, September 21st, get that on your calendar. Uh, Mortis, if Bader wins, they should give the title fight. Phil Davis as boring as he may be he has defeated three of the top five guys that are ahead of him in the rankings this is true but you know what I don't think I think Phil Davis taking what you say Mortis I wouldn't mind Davis meeting the winner of um, Bader and Teixeira and the winner of that fight will get the title fight just just you know I think in, in Davis's case you know, he's defeated three of the top five guys, but Glover Teixeira is the guy that's kind of on everybody's radar to um, 
quote unquote unseat John Jones. Same thing with Alexander Gustafson. So I'm curious to see how it turns out, but you do have some solid logic. I am unsure of Davis getting the shot right now after that, the way he, that robbery that occurred with Lyoto Machida. I'm sorry. Machida definitely won that fight. He, he was just the aggressor, but to use a tried and true statement from Dana White, never leave it in the hands of the judges. Simple as that. All right. So let's get into the rest of the MMA news. Uh, Sarah McMahon had to withdraw from her fight with Sarah Kaufman from UFC fight night 27. That's going down, of course, on Fox Sports one. Um, and that's happening August 28th. As of right now, they're looking for a replacement to take on Sarah Kaufman. So there you have it. Sarah McMahon had to withdraw for undisclosed reasons from her fight with Sarah Kaufman at UFC Fight Night 27. Paul Daly's in the news this week as he has signed a three-fight, one-year deal with Bama, B-A-M-M-A. For those of you that are curious, um, Daly previously fought for for Bama in 2011, going 2-0. He's going to be fighting in November for the Russian promotion Legend. After that, he will be fighting for Bama. Of course, Paul Daly is hoping to get back into the UFC. I think that that after the bell punch in the face to Josh Koscheck uh, still is fresh in Dana White's mind to make that happen. But who knows? We shall see. Mortis, uh, Mortis says Machida was on the other side of a robbery when he defeated Shogun the first time. Of course, Shogun got his revenge. This is also true. That, dude, that robbery of Shogun was such bullshit. But, you know, that was a robbery from a title fight standpoint, and it was... Ugh. It, it was it was horrifying, to say the least. That is true, but Shogun did get his revenge in devastating fashion. One of the exciting fights that got announced recently that I'm really pumped for is Melvin Gillard meeting Ross Pearson at UFC Fight Night 28. That was actually announced on this past Tuesday's episode of UFC Tonight. I'm really looking forward to that. That's going down October 26th in Manchester, England. The main card will air on Fox Sports 2 with the prelims on Facebook. Um, actually, you know what? I think, yeah, Paul Daly may have had some, some, uh, some crim, some, um, law enforcement problems recently that definitely may be a problem visa wise. Thank you for bringing that up, Mortis. That is true. He did. He was going through some issues abroad, um, some legal issues. And I think that may have been a factor in him getting a visa. I would love to see Paul Daly back in the, in, in the U S and especially fighting for the UFC. I think Daly, um, is a tremendously talented fighter and he's just exciting to watch. I mean, you know, the punch after the bell to Koscheck is, it, it, it's fresh, man. It's a, it's a fresh thing that really has, um, especially for Dana White, it really was a big blemish on the sport. And considering what's been going on with Fox and mainstream UFC exposure, I think a lot of people would definitely raise an eyebrow if Daly came back into the UFC. But from a competitive standpoint, I would love to see it because I think he still has something to offer. So last bit of MMA news I wanted to talk about. Gegard Mousasi um, was talking about a fight um, he had a, he really would love to fight Vitor Belfort. Of course, uh, Vitor is a guy who's been talked about quite a bit due to the TRT exemptions and him only fighting in Brazil. It seems that Gegard Mousasi gives two fucks about uh, Vitor Belfort's um, weight classes that he likes to fight in. He said the following, I will make it easy on Vitor. I'm, if he's going to keep making conditions on who he'll fight, I will fight Vitor at a catch weight 
or at light heavyweight. At the end of the day, I want to fight the best guys for the title. I don't turn down fights. So, it. I, I mean, I, I got to give credit where credit is due. Gegard Mousasi is really trying to get out there, get himself into some title contention. Uh, Vitor, um, especially with, with the performances he's had as of late, he's, he's definitely a guy that you want to get as a notch in, in the victory column because, you know, you beat a guy, a legend, you know, he is a legend regardless of what people say. But I do have to say that uh, Vitor only fighting in Brazil does raise quite a few eyebrows, especially with the whole TRT thing. But I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing that fight. I think Musasi and, and Belfort would be an awesome fight. And I think it would be a fight that should be for some sort of title contention. Um, Vitor, of course, is expressing his desire to challenge for the middleweight title, but he's also been fighting at light heavyweight. Either way, um, Vitor needs to get back out there. I, I know Chael wanted to fight him, but Chael wants to fight fucking everybody. But Gegard and, and Vitor Belfort would be an awesome fight for sure. I'd, I definitely would love to see that. All right, that's going to wrap up this week's MMA news. Let's get into some wrestling, shall we? We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you, nigga! Yes, sir, we promised you a great main event here tonight. Check it out here. Andre, the giant muscle mania! Everyone has a price. Rest. All right, so let's get the ball rolling with Monday Night Raw, which was surprisingly good. It had a lot of high points. Um, the opening segment with Daniel Bryan was tremendous. Every aspect of it was tremendous. It just leads the it it continues to lead the argument that Daniel Bryan has mastered sports entertainment. Vince McMahon, in his antiquated thinking, continues to believe that Daniel Bryan is a creation of of his mind. And that's not the case. Daniel Bryan has always been awesome. It just took finding the right combination of gimmick, catchphrase, and crowd response to get people behind him. Vince create yeah, Vince created the hype machine with the goat and and all of that, but in terms of just Daniel Bryan being over, he was over when he came in. If you guys remember when Daniel Bryan debuted on NXT with The Miz as his mentor, you guys know that Daniel Bryan was getting cheered and, and people were rooting for him. So what Vince McMahon and the WWE machine did was they took, they they polished up, put it like this, they took a piece of, go, of coal and made a diamond out of it. Simple. If, if that's the, the apropos analogy at the moment, it really is. I mean... If Daniel Bryan was shitty, you're just WWE would have probably amplified how shitty he is. And, and a, a, a prime example of that is guys that come in and they're they're decent, and then they just they, they get exposed when they come to the WWE, and, and that does happen. But then you have guys who they've really hone their chops on the independent circuit, and they just want the opportunity to get to the big dance. Uh, great ex- great examples of this are CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, Evan Bourne. You know, I can go down a list of guys. Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose. Um, and then you got guys that are, that are being created in the quote-unquote WWE factory that are destined for, for success based on just who they are. 
Like, the son of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat is a great competitor. I've been watching his work. And I think that when when he comes up to the main stage, if he's booked right, he is going to be a bona fide star. The guy has the pedigree, the look, the moveset. It works. But again, there's there's a lot. He has lineage behind him. He has the WWE machine behind him as well. So those guys that have that in their corner really can benefit from it. The only glaring flaw that I've seen in that argument is Curtis Axel. And I'll, and the reason I say that is because, oh, and um, Ted DiBiase Jr. Both of those guys, they have tremendous pedigree, great wrestling, and they just, they just couldn't click. I don't know why it just didn't work. And, and a great example of this is Ted DiBiase Jr. Ted DiBiase Jr. came in, form legacy with Randy Orton and Cody Rhodes. And think about this. When they broke up that group, Cody Rhodes, whose whose mic work is still questionable, really benefited the most from the breakup. Randy Orton is always going to be Randy Orton, but you would have thought that Ted DiBiase Jr. would have been the guy to really get the attention of, of the WWE hype machine. Because that guy, he was... He had all the tools. He was he was in good shape, came from a great wrestling family, and he just worked. I've always felt that if that you should have brought up the um Mike DiBiase, put him and Ted DiBiase together, created a new money inc, and have them managed by Ted DiBiase Sr. I think doing it that way, you know, it works. It really, really works. I think doing that would have worked for both individuals. Obviously, it would have gotten Mike DiBiase noticed and Teddy and Teddy Jr. would have would have gotten, you know, he would have had his dad to kind of help set him up. Not only that, but that, of course, would have led to the eventual breakup down the road and you could have got something really good out of it. Another guy, and it's funny, Mortis brings this up, uh, Bo Dallas. He is the brother of Husky Harris or Bray Wyatt. His father is IRS. Now, when you look at Bo Dallas, he you know he has a high flying move set. Seems very generic versus his brother, who of course is is Bray Wyatt. Now, Husky Harris, when you look at Husky Harris, and especially in NXT, and when he came up with the Nexus, you're like, oh, this fucking tubby bastard. He kind of sucks, but you you can see that there was something there that just needed to be brought out the right way. And of course, that was just a gimmick that he needed. Same thing. I think another guy who really failed miserably, not because of who he was, but of the gimmick he was saddled with, was the son of the British Bulldog. I think that, um, you know, David Hart Smith had tremendous potential. That's a guy that you could have probably built as the face of your company. And, you know, you split them up, you split him and Tyson Kidd up. Tyson Kidd didn't benefit from the breakup either, which is insane because he's another guy that's incredibly fucking talented. But again, they just don't they just don't have those right pieces to become these these bona fide stars that the WWE search for. Now, in, in David Hart Smith's case, I, he's gone to Japan. He's really tightened up his game. Um, there were rumblings he was going to fight in professional in in professional MMA, and I think that that kid. Is is um, I think the WWE really dropped the ball with him 
Because the guy had all the tools. He was a big guy. He was in good shape. Again, Hart family, uh, Hart Dungeon graduate. His father, of course, the late British Bulldog, was a legend. Same thing. Now, the, the easiest thing to do is, hey, let's create a faction with all these young guys. Yeah, you could do that. But you got to look at guys, like I said, like you could do the two DiBiase brothers with the father. And that's an instant tag team. You bolster the tag team ranks. Piece of cake. With regards to Curtis Axel, I think that when he came in as Michael McGillicuddy, it just fucked him up completely. Really did. Just fucked him up totally. If he would have came in as Curtis Axel from the start, it might have worked a little better than coming in as Michael McGillicuddy and then trying to come up with this whole, you know, backwards fucking hokey origin story that really nobody gave a shit about. Had he came in as Curtis Axel or, um, you know, imperfect Curtis Axel, whatever you would have wanted to do would have been leaps and bounds better than going with, um, you know, Michael McGillicuddy. Just, just didn't work. Anyway, it's funny, the uh, going back to what we were talking about with Monday Night Raw, Daniel Bryan, tremendous in his, in, in his uh, segment with Vince, and Wade Barrett, which was totally random, Wade Barrett coming out as the guy who was supposed to shave Daniel Bryan's beard. Of course, da- Wade Barrett ended up being the guy that got a shave for his troubles. It was, it, was, it was good, man. I really liked the way it went. Crowd was super into it. They were electric. They, they were really into the entire segment, so definitely solid work from WWE on that segment. Alberto Del Rio took on Rob Van Dam in a solid match, but it wasn't so much the match that was what, I, what was something that you would talk about. It was what they did to break up Del Rio and Ricardo Rodriguez. It was tremendous, and not for nothing... Alberto Del Rio is as generic as it gets. And he was over because of Ricardo Rodriguez. But if you want to solidify a guy as a bona fide heel, beat up the guy who has the makings of a bona fide face. And I'll be honest, Ricardo Rodriguez, if he goes out there and throws on a pair of tights, he I mean, we've all seen him wrestle under the mask as El Ocal, but I'm talking about if he goes and he, you know, he becomes the underdog and he wants to be, you know, you could do a great storyline with that where, you know, Ricardo Rodriguez is rehabbing. He decides that he's going to go to NXT and become a professional wrestler to seek revenge on Alberto Del Rio. It's a, it's a great story that you can build over weeks and weeks and weeks leading up to a, a potential match with them. Ricardo Rodriguez's wrestling is solid. Whether he wrestles under the mask or not, I think a good thing to do is Ricardo Rodriguez, after this beating, comes back under the mask and just attacks Del Rio as best as you know, as many times as possible. Costs him the title match, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And Del Rio's just like, you know, who's this mask guy? He debuts. He costs me the match. Who is he? And you can kind of tease that it's Ricardo without really giving it up. Not only do you get three things out of this equation. Number one, you get a feud with Alberto Del Rio that people may give a fuck about. Number two, you get a brand new face. And if he's a masked wrestler, you get new merchandise that you can sell. If that's where the, where this is going to lead, fantastic. 
If it's just going to lead to some shit where Ricardo Rodriguez got written off television because he's going to get cut, it kind of sucks, which is the first thing that it led me to believe. I figured, you know, he got this wellness violation, etc., etc. Now he's being written off again. Maybe he's going to get released. You know, that's the, that's the kind of the first thing you think about, especially with some of the stuff that was going on on Twitter and people complaining about his suspension. You know, it's, it's something that that definitely raises a red flag. I really, really hope that they start utilizing uh, Ricardo Rodriguez as a performer, because I think he has a lot to to add to the roster. And I agree with Mortis. Ricardo Rodriguez was Alberto Del Rio's charisma. He was because the chemistry was there. All right. So. Mark Henry took on Ryback in a match we've seen a thousand fucking times. Um, ended via countout with Mark Henry winning. Meh, it was all right. Um, John Cena has his um, pretty pretty decent promo. It was it wasn't bad. It was good. And the crazy thing is that the way that it was built up with Daniel Bryan and the exchanges with John Cena was so well done. And again, Cena, for all his faults, you give him the right opponent and the right guy to have exchanges with, and the shit works. It really works. And in this, this was one of those instances where it, the, the chemistry was there. It was, it was so on point. It was so good. And I really liked it. I liked, I liked when Daniel Bryan, you know, was talking about that he wrestled, you know, in in the small places, and John Cena wrestles in arenas or how John Cena was a superstar and he is a wrestler. I I love that. I like where they're going with it. And I think that that's the basis for this feud because you don't always have to turn X guy face or X guy heel. Sometimes it's just the natural progression of the storytelling that you can do a lot with. I mean, as terrible as it sounds, they're really using total divas to make Daniel Bryan look like that, like the schlub, you know, they're like, oh, you know, Danny Bryan lives in his childhood home in, in Aberdeen and John Cena has this mega mansion and all these cars. And, you know, Alberto Del Rio is just a, I mean, Alberto Del Rio, I mean, you know, Daniel Bryan is just a, a, a basic guy that has, you know, lives with the basics. Is it doesn't live an extravagant lifestyle like I like that because that's a great bit of storytelling and you can use that feud as pretty much the superstar versus the wrestler. I think that that's where they were kind of going with with Rock and and John Cena, where it's like the superstar versus the you know the the wrestler. But it didn't work because John Cena is just as much of a superstar, not on the same level as the Rock, but he, he does have his whole mainstream appeal. You know, he's got his movie roles, he's got his cereal boxes, he's got his catchphrases, he's got you know numerous title runs, numerous accolades, etc., etc., etc. I like the progression of this feud being based on the fact of where these guys are as individuals. You don't need to have faces and heels all the time. Sometimes it's as easy as just using real life as a factor. So, Tons of Funk took on the Wyatt family in what was basically a glorified squash. Um, I do have to say that... um, you know, there were there were some very, very cool spots. I liked um you know Bray Wyatt dropping the, the sister Abigail and I liked the setup with Kane where um obviously this is leading to an inferno match 
at SummerSlam, which I have no problems with that. I think it's good to see Kane back in that, you know, terrifying, um, hellish mentality. I think it works. I think the, the problem with Kane is that you have a guy who's gone through so many different subtle gimmick changes that you've lost sight of the foundation that made Kane an awesome performer. And that's the fact that he's just a scary, big, nasty individual. The, his, his relationship with Daniel Bryan was great from a comedic standpoint, but you need to go back to the roots of the character, the meat and potatoes of what made him effective. You know, him coming out with, with, with you know, I remember when he was doing the, the promotion for the first See No Evil film, which we're going to be talking about that later on, he, you know, he came out, he had the chain on the hook, and it was just really scary, like, the way they were going, because they were utilizing his his persona from the movie to a degree, and I think you kind of need that, you need that with Kane, you know, you got the really crazy music, you got the fire, like, he should come out, I'm not saying he should come out with, like, the chain and the, and the, and the meat hook, but he definitely should come out and just look a little bit more scary, and that's what it is, that I think that, his relationship with Daniel Bryan, while it worked in terms of making Daniel Bryan have more mainstream appeal, in 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 the in the grand scheme of things, it did kind of hinder Kane a bit because Kane became, you know, comic relief. Which, when you have a guy who's supposed to be the brother of the of the scariest individual on your roster, being the Undertaker, the Phenom, you're expecting something of. You're expecting something of of similar magnitude, and and that's the thing. Kane, uh, trust me, Kane as a performer is tremendous. I like um what Dark Helmet says in the chat with Kane, uh, The Rock, and and Hulk Hogan. That was an awesome exchange, and it showed the type of range that Glenn Jacobs has. That's you know Kane's alter ego has as a performer, and that's great. But if you want to make him a monster to take on the Wyatt family, then you need to continue that path for the foreseeable future because I think Kane as a monster is incredibly scary especially when he doesn't have allegiances to faces or heels and he's just this loose cannon it just works same thing with the Undertaker to a degree like yeah the Undertaker for all intents and purposes is a face but there were instances where he was kind of gray and you didn't know whether he was a face or a heel he just he was just the Undertaker simple as that I think we need to go back to that with Kane Caitlyn and Layla had a, it it was, I mean, you know, it's, it's weird, you know, the random Layla heel turn and to a degree, I kind of feel that it makes the number of, of, of heel divas, uh, substantially more because think about it. You got Layla, AJ, the Bellas, Oksana, um, uh, Jimmy Snooker's daughter, Tamina, who's a heel and then, who was a heel at one point, I don't know if they've made her a face again, to, to you know, you have Caitlyn, Natalia, uh, the Funkadactyls, yeah, maybe, uh, depending, Alicia Fox, you know what I mean? Like, it, it almost feels like there's more heel divas than face divas, which is, which is unfortunate because, again, there's, there's women on the roster that really could, could stand to tighten up their technique a bit and would do well as um you know females to round out 
that particular side of the roster because honestly, Caitlin and Layla, Caitlin and AJ, Caitlin and the Bellas, it feels like we're seeing the same fucking matches every week, which is unfortunate because you know you got you got Paige in NXT who's tremendous, um, Charlotte Ric Flair's daughter who if she gets called up should be managed by her dad because I think it would work. And if the rumors are true with regards to Ric Flair, I'm going to discuss that later on in the segment. That would be phenomenal. It would be great for her and it would be great for Flair and not for nothing. I haven't seen a diva in a while that has a manager that would really be effective. I'd, I'd love to see that. I'd like to see them put a little bit more energy into the, the divas division and uh, a diva with a manager is something you just, you don't see. And I think it would definitely be awesome for sure. Christian took on Heath Slater in a pretty decent match. I mean, you know, Christian gets the victory with the spear. CM Punk and Kurt, Curtis Axel was a solid match as well. I like the uh, subtle homage to Mr. Perfect trying to do the gum swat, which was kind of cool. Um, again, good chemistry. The problem with Axel is just he's missing something. Miss, and it's not Heyman now. The wrestling, given the, the circumstances of you know, the, the issues with Punk and, and Heyman, you knew this was a setup for Brock Lesnar to come out, which was the case. Um, a wonderful exchange. I think CM Punk is going to bring out the best Brock Lesnar we've seen thus far from a wrestling standpoint, because I feel that that chemistry between them, it just works. The whole booking of the best versus the beast, it works. The booking of, you know, the big guy, the, the bona fide killer, taking on the best wrestler in the world. I like it. I like where it's going. And I think without a shadow of a doubt that going that route is going to be, it's it's going to pay dividends for both guys. I think Lesnar needs that because he's been in these high profile matches with guys that aren't bringing that, that, that wrestling background out of him. Think about it. With John Cena, it was basically bona fide slugfest. They were good and they were violent, but they were exactly that slugfest. You look at him and, and Triple H, uh, Brock Lesnar and Triple H, same shit, bona fide slugfest. Hey, let's beat the shit out of each other. Oh, I'm gonna hit you with a hammer. Oh, I'm gonna hit you with a chair. It's it does. We need wrestling, especially when it comes to Punk being involved, that's that's what you got to use. I mean, don't get me wrong, the MMA background is there, and I'm sure we're going to see some of that stuff, but just the bona fide wrestling background of both guys should really yield a, a, a substantially awesome match. As for Punk and Axel, I think there's, there's money in that feud as well, because, again, I think that CM Punk should feud with all the Heyman guys, and Axel, I think he's in that same that same boat where he needs a, a, a substantial feud to really put his character over. Not to mention the fact that he has a belt. So even the belt can be the vehicle for a feud between him and Punk because Punk can just as easily say, you know what, Paul, I'm going to take everything from you and I'm going to take what you covet the most, championships. And, you're, and, and your guy has a championship, so guess what, Curtis Axel, I'm going to take your belt. And and that alone would be a great, it, it would be, I mean, you know, the belts at this point are props, but seriously, that would be a great uh, bridge to get those two guys into some solid matches. Now, Fandango took on Kofi Kingston, which was, it, it was all right. It was a little too fast for my liking. I think that the match 
could have gone a little better. Um, Kofi Kingston looked good. He had, he looked like he had a little bit of rust. He had a he had a nice uh, different change to his ring gear. He looked solid hitting the trouble in paradise, but the match just went a little a little too short. So we didn't get a good feel for it. And frankly, I think um, Kingston and Fandango could have had a really solid match if given given a little bit more time, maybe a couple of more minutes. It would have definitely worked. Uh, the Usos took on the Real Americans in a match that I thought was going to be better than it was. And it was okay, but you could tell that the, the chemistry wasn't there. Um, Cesaro, of course, just stellar as always, looking good, delivering the neutralizer for the pin. It was a, a solid match. Um, you know, it, it like I said, it had moments where you could see it was a little bit disjointed, but then it picked up and it was, a, it was like, again, a solid ending. Ziggler and Biggie Langston. Um, I kind of felt that this match could have had a slower burn, and it probably would have been a, a solid match that we could have seen uh, later on down the road. Of course, that's not the case, and it's leading to a match uh, that you'll probably find out about on SmackDown, if I'm right. I think the spoilers were correct with regards to that, but I think you're kind of pulling the trigger on Ziggler and Langston a little too quick. I think that you know, you can have the sneak attacks and the interferences, but giving that match away on free TV, as good as Langston has been and as awesome as Ziggler is, it, you know, you, you, you have a, a better chance of getting a solid match if you build it up just a little more. I mean, giving it away on, on free TV and not giving them ample time and then involving Caitlyn kind of, it kind of fucked things up a little bit in my opinion. Like I said, this, that, that feud benefits from a nice slow burn. I had a conversation with a with an individual yesterday with regards to Ziggler and Langston, and I think that Ziggler could have won the belt, still been with Big E and AJ, and Big E could have been a factor in Ziggler winning the belt, and the belt would have been the reason that E would have turned on Ziggler. I think it would have been good because Big E could have been like, hey, man, you know, I'm part of the reason why you got this belt. I'm part of the reason why you're champion. You know, Dolph Ziggler could be like, no, man, I steal the damn show. I could have got this belt without you. And that would have been that. You know, Ziggler would have been celebrating a title win. Boom. Biggie Lance, Biggie strikes. And that would have been that. I think it would have worked. And giving this match away so soon is just a, a kick in the ball, so to speak. Meanwhile, our last match on Monday Night Raw, Daniel Bryan, Blandy Borton, and uh, John Cena took on The Shield in, in a solid match. Um, the Shield and Daniel Bryan are always tremendous to watch. You know, Cena and Orton in there, it's pretty paint by numbers, but but Daniel Bryan and The Shield just work so fucking well. It's insane. It really is crazy the way it goes. You know, the ending was kind of cool with Randy Orton walking out. He was... Uh, you know, on you know, leaving leaving them in there, and Brian eating the po- eating the power bomb. It was it was just Daniel Bryan. It's moments like this match that reinforce that he just works well with certain guys better than others. I think that Orton and Bryan had some stellar matches. They were very good, great storytelling. I think Bryan and Cena are going to have a tremendous match. But Daniel Bryan and the Shield, when they break those guys up. When they feud with Daniel Bryan or they have matches with Bryan individually, it's going to be a fucking problem. Daniel Bryan and Seth Rollins alone is going to be a problem. 
and and Brian and Ambrose forget it. But yeah, Raw was was pretty good. It had a couple of little low points here or there, uh, match wise. But overall, it was definitely a solid solid broadcast. So let's get into the rest of the wrestling news for this week because we have quite a bit to discuss in that regard. Um, so Kurt Angle got arrested. Big shocker there, and um, turns out. He was um, he was arrested for a DWI uh, last Thursday following the impact taping. This is his fourth alcohol-related arrest in six years. He got a DUI in Pennsylvania in 2007. He ate two arrests in 2011. The first for being drunk in his parked car and the second for a DWI. And he pled guilty to, the, to being drunk while parked. And then he avoid he dodged convictions on the others. Now here's the thing: for those of you that are that that aren't familiar with this bit of news, know that Kurt Angle left WWE and went to TNA because WWE wanted him to go to rehab. I don't remember if it was for pain pills or alcohol or something, but WWE wanted him to go to rehab. Kurt Angle said no and jumped ship to TNA. Now, here we are, 2013, Kurt Angle's got four arrests, he posted a $2,000 bond, and now he's going to rehab. Now, here's how, you know, Kurt Angle issued a statement on Twitter, he said, I'm blessed to have the support of my family, my friends, and my company. In light of recent events, I will immediately be entering a rehabilitation center. I realize that this is a pivotal time in my life, and I ask for your understanding, as well as your prayers and continued support. I am confident that in taking these steps, I can begin to address necessary changes in my life. Dixie Carter did say, you know, she did elaborate on it. She said the TNA family is very supportive of the steps Kurt Angle is taking in his recovery. Please keep him in your thoughts and prayers. Now, this is the thing. And this is what boggles my fucking mind. Kurt Angle has, you know, he has children with with his ex-wife. Yeah, if, if I'm not mistaken. Has, I believe, two children. No, I think he has one child with his new wife. Dude, you have kids. What the fuck are you doing? And then you're driving to, to make matters worse. You're, you're driving under the influence, putting everybody on the road at risk, putting yourself at risk for what? It's insane. And what kills me is that he was arrested following the impact taping. So... Post-impact, what the fuck did you take that messed you up to make you get pulled over? Was it pain pills? Was it alcohol and pain pills? What the fuck, man? Kurt Angle is a tremendous athlete. Probably probably in, in my top 10 greatest wrestlers of all time. The guy is an Olympian, uh, just a, a, a tremendous individual. He has numerous accolades under his belt. He's delivered amazing matches in WWE and TNA. The guy, the guy's a bona fide hall of famer. Whatever happened to living with the three eyes, intensity, integrity, and intelligence. You're not, you got, you're living out of with one out of three, which is intensity. Your fucking integrity's in the toilet. And so's your intelligence. Cause you got popped for fucking drinking or, or whatever you're doing four times four after the second time, you should have been like, damn, I better chill. No. 
four fucking times. And the reason it frustrates me is because if you've been a wrestling fan as long as, as I have, you know that wrestlers dying from alcohol, drug abuse, etc. is the norm. Every time a wrestler dies, even if it's a guy that died from natural causes or heart failure or something, the first question is, eh, it was probably a drug overdose. Like, Kurt Angle has, has so much to offer this business, not only as a performer, but even when he retires, he can train the next generation of wrestlers, and he insists on fucking himself up for it. You know who's in that same category, or who was for the time being? Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy was the same fucking way. Seriously. This is a guy, he has, he is so over that he pretty much shits dollar bills with everything he, with everything he does. And again, just just throwing it all away for what? Listen, I understand the the, the wrestling life is hard, the road life is hard, and honestly, being addicted to pain pills and all that stuff, it 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 happens. I understand that. But when you have children that that you know, you're raising that you, that you can count on that should be motivation enough to not do this shit. Seriously. Kurt Angle is a bona fide hall of famer. I'll tell you guys right now, if Kurt Angle quit TNA tomorrow, Vince McMahon would roll out the red carpet for him, but Vince McMahon would throw his ass in fucking rehab at the drop of a hat. Because the guy is way too fucking talented. He has way too much to offer this business to piss it all away. For what? And like I said, it, it, it begs the question, what was he under the influence? Was it alcohol? I mean, the, you know, he was arrested for DWI this time. But is it alcohol and pain pills? Is it alcohol and something else? And, and not only that, but what, what's the breathalyzer for it? Because that's one thing I, I didn't see with this late with this latest arrest. Would what 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 did he you know what did he blow on the breathalyzer? Like it's fucking insane. Come on, Kurt. You know I'm a, I'm a big fan. I've I read Kurt Angle's book, which is a tremendous book. If you've read it, definitely. If you haven't, definitely check it out. If I had it, I'd actually give it away. But I don't. I actually borrowed it from a buddy of mine. But seriously, guy has way too much to offer this business. To, to keep pissing it away. Four DWIs. Four, well, two DUIs and two DWIs. Or or depending on... You know, it's funny because you look at it either way. Driving under the influence could be a, a multitude of things. Same thing while driving while intoxicated. It's, it's insane. And it's funny. With regards to alcohol, I like what um, Dark Helmet brought up. It's true. Crash Holly, I remember, he actually choked on his own vomit. You know, and um, Mortis brings up another guy, Test. Test was ex- exactly right, Andrew Martin. He was asked to go to rehab, which is true. He refused, went to TNA. TNA wanted him to go to rehab. He said no, and then he died. It's the same shit. And, you know, like I said, when something wrong happens in the wrestling business, the first thing, the first thing the pundits pull up is, oh, well, you know, this business is is filled with drug abuse and alcohol abuse and Bloody fucking blah. It's like, come on, man. Stop giving, you know, mainstream press these these nuggets of information that they can just use against the business. Don't do it. 
We'll see what happens, though. I mean, you know, it, it's crazy, but we'll, we'll find out what the deal is. In another news story, the fan that attacked Randy Orton in South Africa was charged with assault. Uh, the Wrestling Observer said that uh, Shepo Sakabi was charged with and pled guilty to assault charges. WWE.com also put the news story up, saying that the accused party pled guilty in court yesterday and was charged and ordered to pay, either pay a fine of $500 or serve 30 days in jail. So, you know, the guy was given a, he acknowledged his, his you know, what, what he did wrong. He was given a three-year suspended sentence and is not permitted to attend WWE live events in South Africa. So there you go. Pretty much everybody, the company stated that this was not part of a storyline and that Sakabi ran into the ring and legitimately attacked Randy Orton. Shit is, shit, it's crazy because, and you know, we were talking about this a couple of weeks back about whether it was a work or not. And, you know, it, it, the guy, he's an indie wrestler and it's very, like I said, it's easy to think that it would be a work. Seriously, I, I, I thought we were, be, the, you know, the fans were being worked for a while. And I was like, oh, man, you know, maybe this guy's going to debut soon or maybe they're going into this whole new direction. But crazy as it is, it was just a legit dude hopping the gate and doing something stupid. There you have it, ladies and gents. So I wanted to talk about Goldberg because we were talking about him last week and the possibility of him being in WWE 2K14. He did an interview, a radio interview recently where he was saying that, you know, he's 46 years old, but he is open to coming back and doing professional wrestling. He says he'd like to do it because his son is older and he's getting into watching the matches on YouTube. He also went on to say that if he did come back, he'd love to come back as a heel. He was asked about Ryback and he said that he has no ill feelings toward the guy, but he feels that Ryback is a total ripoff. Now, listen, wrestling gimmicks are always or to a, to a large point based on other gimmicks, whatever, you know, Ryback definitely, I, I'm sure has borrowed quite a bit from the Goldberg gimmick. As for Goldberg coming back at the age of 46, the problem with Goldberg at this stage of the game is that the guy... I don't want to say that he expects a lot from this business, but I think he just has a, a poor opinion of how, you know, how this business is supposed to work. I think the problem was he was a product of the WCW marketing machine. He was a, he was an okay wrestler. Let's not kid ourselves. And I'd love, I'd love to hear what the chat says about this. Did you guys think that, that Goldberg was an average wrestler and that his successes came from his gimmick? I'm curious. Because me personally, I liked Goldberg. I thought he was awesome. But I also knew that, you know, he had the fucking three moves of doom and that was it. And he couldn't have a competitive match to save his life. So, again, I personally think Goldberg coming back, if he came back, he he should, again, he should come back on a limited basis, go into the Hall of Fame, and that's it. Don't get me wrong. Goldberg has a place in, in wrestling history. He does, but... And to quote what Slick said, he was paint by numbers. He was. It was, you know, a um, couple of spots, spear, jackhammer, that was it. Don't get me wrong. The guy's intensity was off the charts, and the crowd fed off that intensity. And he just looked like a vicious human being out there. But, um, you know, it was it was what it was. I, I, I like the guy. I do. I, I like Goldberg. Don't, don't, don't mistake it for me shitting on him or burying him. 
But I don't think that Goldberg was what it what was, you know, without the WCW machine, he was just regular. Like even now, in comparison to a lot of these guys, like put it this way, Goldberg, Brock Lesnar, Batista, Monty Brown, those guys were the guys that they'd come out and they were just known for their aggressive moves and you know, when you broke it down to the meat and potatoes, you couldn't get a, a, a half hour match out of these guys without it resorting to punch, kick, punch, kick, punch, kick, punch, power slam, um, you know, jackhammer, powerbomb, spear, etc. And that's what I'm saying. That's that's the thing. I mean, that era of wrestling, while it's still there to a degree with certain guys, people expect more. Like, you look at John Cena, even John Cena, who people shit on, has evolved his moveset. You know, he's doing some some top rope stuff. You know, he's got some submissions. He's trying to do some other stuff to keep himself kind of fresh. I think part of the reason why Cena doesn't do a lot of the stuff is because I'm sure WWE's like, hey, man, don't do that. We don't want you getting injured. It's it's one of the things that I talked about a couple of couple of months back with Fandango where, you know, they didn't want him doing the off the rope leg drop all the time because they didn't want him to injure himself. And that's what I mean. One of the guys that I'd like to put in under that particular, you know, uh, I put him under the microscope is Rob Van Dam. You look at Rob Van Dam every time he does that five star frog splash. I mean, he sells it like a champion, but fuck, you know, repeatedly that has to take its toll on your body. You know, and that's that's what I'm saying. I think I think a lot of these guys they got they're forced to work safe in terms of career longevity, and that's fine. But back then, Goldberg was under the microscope, but he was over just because he was part of the marketing machine. If Goldberg came back now in the WWE, from a from a promo standpoint, he would get ripped to fucking shreds promo wise. Wrestling-wise, you know, he could come out there and have a, a couple of decent matches, maybe with CM Punk, maybe with John Cena. Maybe you could get another match with Brock Lesnar that won't be littered with booze. But that's what I'm saying. The Goldberg's whole mystique was based on how he was booked. It wasn't built on his fucking wrestling. Just saying, it wasn't. Speaking of John Cena, which, um, you know, I shit on John Cena where, where applicable, but I do have to acknowledge John Cena granted over 350 wishes with Make-A-Wish. He actually granted quite a few of them when they were touring in Australia, and now he stands at over 350 in his career. Definitely a great moment. Uh, kudos to John Cena, as always, for continuing to do great things with Make-A-Wish and WWE as well. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a huge supporter of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. I've, I've dealt with them also. And um, what they do for, for children and sick individuals is, is just amazing. So definitely props to John Cena with over 350 wishes under his belt. I was going to save this next bit of wrestling news for the entertainment segment, but it needed to be discussed just because, you know, we were talking about him earlier, and that involves Kane. WWE Studios and Lionsgate announced that See No Evil 2 is happening. The film will begin production in the fall, and Kane will reprise his role as Jacob Goodnight. Uh, The Soska sisters, Jen and Sylvia, are set to work on the film. Uh, The sequel is being described as 
uh, Jacob Goodnight coming back from the dead in the city morgue and, um, you know, going through and killing a group of medical students. When Sino Evil came out in 2006, it made $18 million on a budget of $8 million. And it's one of those things where I do have to say Sino Evil was probably one of the better offerings from WWE films at the time. And not for nothing, Kane, Kane was a natural in that role. And that's one of the things that I've said um, with regards to him. Kane is such a, a scary and imposing individual that you should be letting him do uh, more horror movies. Because he just looks like a scary guy. It, it would, letting him go and do some of these movies would definitely raise his stock. And a, a second, a second, see no evil. I don't have a problem with it. It's been a while. The last one was made in 2006. It's a, it's a paltry eight million, you know, a paltry eight million dollar budget. They made eighteen and a half. That's a, you know, that's a ten and a half million dollar pro- profit on their end. No biggie. And you know, it's going to go straight to video. It's probably not going to even make the theaters. If it does, I'd be shocked. But Kane was really good. I think that that he just had tremendous screen presence. He looked really good out there and I'm pumped. I want to see if, you know, they can capture that same magic and Kane could lead to a, you know, open up a new career path for himself in the horror movie genre. I'm definitely looking forward to it. So as soon as I get more news about it, I will share it with you guys. Last bit of wrestling news to close things up. Sheamus will be on the show for four to six months. He tore his labrum in his left shoulder. He'll be going under the knife next week. Um, you know, if you guys remember, he had that bruised up leg that he got at Money in the Bank. And um, while they were on tour in South Africa, he realized that he had a, an extremely limited range of motion and a lot of sharp pains. He got the MRI and he's going to be needing the arthroscopic surgery to get that fixed. So, Seamus is on the shelf, but I will say this. I injured my labrum on my left arm and I'd, I'd like to say, uh, 2013 about 2008 and I didn't tear it, but I injured it. And the crazy thing is that when you injure your labrum, your rotator cuff and probably dark helmet in the chat can vouch for this. Your, your arm is pretty much fucking done. Like, when I was doing rehab for my labrum injury, they made you pick up a one pound dumbbell, one pound. And when you're picking up a one pound dumbbell and you can barely pick it, bend your arm beyond 90 degrees to, to lift it up. It's, it's a humbling, humbling experience. It fucking sucks. So, you know, I've, I definitely, you know, felt bad for Seamus because, you know, he, he's a, he's a power move wrestler, a big guy. And this injury is just, he, he's going to be fucked up because he's not going to be able to hit the gym. He can't lift. He can't do anything except, you know, legs and that's it. So it, this isn't just him being on the shelf for six months, but now, you know, he's going to, he's going to definitely shrink a little bit. And, um, the rehab process is, is very intense. Labrum injuries are no joke. Major league ball players, when they tear their rotator cuff, that's it. And when you get the surgery, you don't always come back the same. So, Definitely something, and I'm sure when Sheamus comes back, he's going to be a little bit, his moveset is probably going to change, and it's not going to have a lot of power moves. Like it, like he, like he, He's probably not going to be, you know, um, lifting up two guys on his shoulders for the foreseeable future when he comes back, just because, like I said, the, when, you, when you heal up from, the, uh, from a labrum injury, even afterwards, you're going to get a lot of scar tissue, you got to work out. And you're not going to be as strong. It's going to take some time for you to regain. Like, 
when I injured when I injured my labrum, I did the rehab for a year. A year later, I was cleared to start lifting in the gym again. And it wasn't until about two years later that I didn't have any kind of, you know, I didn't have any kind of pain. Like now I go to the gym and I always make sure to stretch, you know, do the um with a, with a broomstick to stretch my, my rotator cuff and make sure because that's that's an injury, especially for anybody that does a lot of that stuff. It's insane. You know how how debilitating that injury is. So definitely uh, wish Seamus a speedy recovery, and we will see him in four to six months. So take this as a rumor for right now, but there are strong rumors indicating that Ric Flair is scheduled to be re-signing with the WWE. Like I said, um, allegedly they want to bring him back, you know, in a PR position, and um, you know they could sell new Ric Flair merchandise. Like I said, I'd love to see Ric Flair come back and manage Charlotte. I think that would be awesome and be a great way to keep him on TV and keep him active and keep him out of trouble. But who knows? Like I said, this is rumors and speculation right now. That's why I kind of didn't want to talk about it. But, you know, it was a, I came across it reading the Wrestling Observer and I figured I'd share it with you guys. So we shall see what's happening. Huh. Mortis is saying that the show keeps buffering for me cuts in and out. Uh, Mortis, uh, are you listening via Mixler or via GFQ? Just let me know. I'm curious to see what's going on with regards to that. And if anybody else is experiencing that as well. All right. So that's going to wrap up our wrestling news for this week. Let's get into the gaming segment because we have quite a bit to discuss. So if you're a fan of the Elder Scrolls series and you got $80 burning a hole in your pocket, you'll be able to pick up the Elder Scrolls Anthology for PC next month, September 10th. It uh, You're getting Arena, Daggerfall, Morrowind, Oblivion, and Skyrim, along with all the DLC and all the maps for each game. Um, You know, all the cell phone games are missing, and so is Elder Scrolls Legend Battlespire, but you will be getting... Uh, the other games, Arena, Daggerfall, Morrowind, Oblivion, and Skyrim for $79.99 on September 10th. I know a couple of guys who I'm friends with on Facebook lost their shit, and um, they definitely will be picking that up. I, I tried to play, I believe it was Morrowind, and I just, I don't know, I'm, I have a love-hate relationship with RPGs. I mean, the RPGs that I've played the most are um, Vagrant Story... Uh, Legend of Dragoon, Final Fantasy VII are definitely my favorites. Those are the ones I've probably, I can say that I've dedicated the most time to. I know Slick is reviewing a uh, a new RPG. That's one of the reasons why I kind of, I, I gave it to Slick to review because I, I just, I, not to say that I wouldn't play an RPG, but I'm so out of touch with them that I think I wouldn't even know where to begin with regards to that. But it's, um... Ah, thank you, Slick. Slick brought something very interesting to my attention. Thank you for that. Um, ah, okay. The uh, the game that Slick is reviewing um, is actually just being ported to the PS3. It did. It has seen release before. I wasn't aware of that. Thank you, Slick, for bringing that to my attention. Um, like I said, I don't I don't mess with RPGs not because I don't want to play them. I just feel so out of touch with, and not only that, but it's such a huge commitment to get into them. I am 
keeping an eye out to play Diablo when it comes on consoles just because I, I want to get into that. I have been playing DC Universe Online on the PS3 and super enjoyable. I'm having a blast with that game. So maybe I'll start getting into them a little more. But as of right now, if you are a PC gamer and you want to pick up the Elder Scrolls Anthology, September 10th, $79.99. couple of weeks back, there was a lot of news circulating that Atlas was filing for bankruptcy or their what's being called civil rehabilitation, which is a form of bankruptcy. It seems that the company is on the radar to be purchased by Sega. According to what's being said, Sega is one of the 20 companies looking at the um, at Atlas's parent company, Index, and right now the bidding for the company is 20 billion yen, or $203 million, and all signs point to it being sold by the end of August. Atlas has a pretty solid stable of games, and I think that if Sega picks it up, they could do great work with it as of right, <clears throat> excuse me, as of right now. It's um, on the market, and Sega's just one of 20 companies up for bidding on it. Now, if you guys have been on MyTakeRadio.com this week, you'll know that we posted an article regarding Saints Row's uh, brand-new inauguration station for Saints Row 4, which is available on Xbox 360, also is available on PC and PlayStation 3. Of course, it's... um, the same, similar to the initiation station that came out with Saints Row the Third, which allows you to create your custom character and import that character into the game. So you can pick that up and have some fun with it on the 360 as well uh, as PC and PlayStation 3. I was playing around with it yesterday. I was going to capture some video for our YouTube channel, but I just didn't get a chance to do it. But Saints Row is so mindlessly silly that I could probably spend at least an hour or two in the inauguration station creating just a, a, a plethora of insane and stupid characters, much like I did with Saints Row the Third. Switching gears, I wanted to talk about Arkham Origins because they, um, they actually released information regarding the UK version's Collector's Edition, which if you pick it up, the UK version drops October 25th, and you're going to get Um, an exclusive Batman and Joker statue, an 80-page full-color hardcover book, um, an Assassin's Intel dossier, which is going to feature information on the eight Assassins, and the first appearance of Batman DLC skin, the Deathstroke Challenge Pack DLC, um, and, and a 3D metal pack. Also, the PS3 version is going to have a Nightfall pack, which is exclusive to that version. The game will be available on the Wii U, PlayStation 3, 360, and PC on October 25th. Once I get information regarding the U.S. version, I will share it on MyTakeRadio.com. The next bit of news I'm sure is going to make Slick very happy. A new Dead Island title is in the works called Dead Island Epidemic, which will be free for the PC. And the way it's being done is it's going to be three teams taking on each other and zombies on the island. So there you have it. No release date available yet, but Deep Silver will be showing the game at GamesCon. It's going to be, it's classified as a multiple online battle arena game. So there you have it. That's what the next Dead Island title is going to be. And it's going to be titled Dead Island Epidemic. So if you're a PC gamer and you want to mess around with it, uh, with Dead Island, you can pick that up. 
I'm sure if it's free on the PC, I'm sure Slick may want to mess with it and share his thoughts. And of course, once we get further info, we will share that with you guys as well. All right, so it's been a couple of weeks since we've talked about next-gen consoles. Uh, First up, Xbox Live uh, confirmed that the Xbox Live Gold membership will be required to utilize the Xbox One's DVR functionality. So as of right now, you're going to need the Xbox Live Gold membership to utilize the following features. Skype, OneGuide, the game DVR, Smart Match, any special offers and exclusive deals, the NFL on Xbox, the Internet Explorer on your TV option, and also any premium entertainment applications. The game DVR is going to capture clips at 720p with a 30 frames per second frame rate. The um, you know, the project upload feature is going to be capable of storing and recording your last five minutes of gameplay when you're playing. Uh, the console, of course, is doing stores in November. Now, a couple of people were a little annoyed about the fact that, you know, some of these features required Xbox Live Gold. And I'm going to be one person to say that, listen, we already pay for Xbox Live Gold. We get a lot of shit. Uh, people that have PlayStation, they get a lot of the shit for free. And even with the PlayStation 4, they're getting a lot of free shit. But if you already pay for Xbox Live, what the fuck does it matter? Like, I, I, like listen... I'm 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 a guy that can complain about shit as much as the next person. But I'm also a person that's that sees fucking logic where applicable. You already pay for Xbox Live. We all do. How many people in the chat, and I'm curious, how many people in the chat do not pay for Xbox Live? I'm curious. Because as far as I know, everyone does. And the people that don't pay for it month to month. They wait for sales on the on the Xbox Live cards, and they buy it that way. Listen, if I don't have Xbox Live Gold, do I give a fuck about Skype? No, not really. The game DVR, eh, it is what it is. I mean, I have a capture card. So, I don't give two shits about that. Uh, you know, the NFL on Xbox, who cares? Internet Explorer, I could give two fucks about that. Because I have Google TV. Um, if you buy the Google, the the Chrome, the Chrome dongle for um, from Google, you could use that. Uh, same thing. I mean, listen. Like Mortis said, I have a computer for Skype. That's what I'm saying. Like some of the stuff, like the One Guide and all that stuff. Yeah, you know, it's great, but meh. Now, you know, it's it's crazy that some people, and this is the thing, when it got announced. People were so fucking pissed. They were like, you know, man, this is bullshit. And people were legitimately upset about it. They really felt that it just, they were like, ah, this is horse shit. And, and, you know, listen, we have amplitude. We have ample gripes. We do. We do have ample gripes. But the fact remains that if you have Xbox Live Gold now, with your Xbox, I'm almost 95% certain you will have it with the new system. Now, it's different with people that have a PlayStation because I know a lot of people that don't have PlayStation Plus. I know a lot of them that don't have PSN Plus. A lot of people. 
But I also know that that number is slowly shrinking because more people are are get, are are really liking the fact that they can get free shit with PSN Plus. I like I said, I'm all about bitching where it's warranted. But the fact is, if you already use Xbox Live, why wouldn't you use it with your new Xbox? Please explain that to me. Because I understand, like I said, people have legitimate gripes, but yo, come the fuck on. Slick just told me that uh, Best Buy Reward Zone members can get the PlayStation Plus uh, uh, at a discounted rate through August 17th. $5 off for the three-month membership, $10 off for the one-year membership. The one-year membership is $50, $10 off, it'll run you $40. Seriously. You know? It's it's crazy. Like I said, you we all know that Xbox is going to have certain things be applicable to their premium tier. It's it's absurd the complaining. Listen, people people from a fanboy standpoint, ugh, excuse me, from a fanboy standpoint are going to complain about the most inane shit. But I'll be honest, this, this whole bit of news doesn't shock me. Fuck, it doesn't even bug me because this shit exists now with certain things only available to Xbox Live Gold subscribers. Come the fuck on with this bullshit. Out of here. So, we've talked about the Wii U for the last couple of shows, and, um... Bethesda's vice president of marketing, Pete Hines, actually said in an interview with Joystick that Elder Scrolls Online, Wolfenstein, The New Order, and Evil Within will not be available on the Wii U. He stated, none of the games we've announced are being developed for the Wii U. It's guaranteed that none of those games are coming to the Wii U. Will any future ones come out? I can't say for sure. In our near-term focus, it's not on our radar. We make the games we want to make on whatever platforms will support them as developed. So there you have it. If you're a, a Wii U owner and you want to pick up Elder Scrolls Online or Wolfenstein, not fucking happening. And it's crazy because, look, I understand people have this relationship and this 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 hatred of the Wii U, but I don't hate the system because of what it has, I hate it. You know, I don't hate it either. I just dislike the fact that it doesn't have games. That's it. But you know what hurts? Companies just outright publicly saying, listen, we're not even putting games on your fucking console. Fuck you. It's crazy. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's insane that, that, that companies just have no problem publicly going on record saying we're not making games for them. Fuck them. Like, how would you feel if you were Nintendo? Like, we're like, damn, you know, we make this cool system. It has all these cool bells and whistles and third party developers think we fucking suck. And it's really not a hardware issue. It's honestly software. Nintendo's hardware isn't shitty. It's just they don't they don't have games. We used to joke about the 3DS not having games, and then out of nowhere, the 3DS has stepped its game up, and they have a, a wide assortment of kick-ass games. Oh, well, the battery lasting for three hours, that uh, yeah, that's, that's a separate issue, but I'm talking about people complain about that, and that's something that, you know, 
system owners complain about, but I'm talking about companies just going on records like, yeah, we're not making games for your system. Fuck you. That's what trips me out. The hardware, the, the battery issue, which again, slick, I didn't know about it. I don't own one, but slick can attest the the battery lasts three hours on the uh, tablet, on the tablet controller. That's, that's a bit of a fucking problem. So, you know, for, for, if you're playing a game like Elder Scrolls, which you're dedicating definitely more than three hours, yes, that is an issue. But I'm talking about from a software standpoint, having developers just go on record publicly to these large publications, like, yeah, we're not making games. It, it just, it just doesn't bode well for Nintendo. Sucks, really. Like I said, I, I, I'd love Nintendo to be successful. They're a company that's been in existence since I was a fucking kid. You know, I've owned almost all their systems right up until the Wii, and I stopped there because I got tired of the of, of, of the systems being fucking paperweights. Like, I owned the GameCube, and I think I kept the GameCube well into owning a Wii because I played so many cool games on the GameCube with the Wavebird controller, Eternal Darkness, uh, the Resident Evil games, you know? Ugh. <laughs> more it is good thing that I have to worry about that since Elder Scrolls MMO isn't coming to the Wii U Nintendo got lucky there ah poor poor Nintendo so while we're on the subject of Nintendo we got two other stories we're going to talk about and, I, and I'd like Slick's input on this this next one is involving uh, Pokemon X and Pokemon Y and the announcement of new evolutions called Mega Evolutions according to the uh, Cerebi website it's going to be a step forward for past characters as well as new characters. Um, you know, Mega Mewtwo, um, Mega Lucario, Mega Ampharos are some of the ones that they've announced getting uh, Mega Evolutions. Uh, Mega Blaziken, Mega Absol, and Mega Mawile? Mawile? I don't, I'm not, my, my Pokemon knowledge is fucking... <laughs> a blip so i definitely uh, <laughs> uh i need i need slick's assistance on this but yeah they're doing uh mega evolutions on pokemon x and y and um i don't know i think it's a it's a, it's an interesting step in in moving the the series forward i i actually saw a picture of mega mewtwo and he looked really really weird because i've always felt that mewtwo by himself was just such an awesome looking character and then it's like the new mega mewtwo he's small and then it looks like his tail just got attached to his head it's the weirdest shit like i'm like eh. like the design is definitely a little freaky for my liking um i do think that the evolutions themselves are again it's it's something to take the series forward but it's not um you know it's not something that that jumps out for me, but I know Slick, he, he plays a lot of the Pokemon games, and I'd love his input on it. And as a matter of fact, he is on the line, so let me bring him on. Slick, what's up, brother? What's up? Not too much. If um if you want a a, a laugh, I'm actually um recording the show with video. I'm not broadcasting the video, but I'm recording it just so I, I could start getting comfortable in front of the camera. So I figured I'd give you guys that tasty nugget of information. <laughs> I gotta watch that later. There you go. So, what are your thoughts on these mega evolutions? Bonafide cash grab or an evolution in the series as a whole? 
Pokemon itself is a bona fide cash grab, but I mean, I still play it. As far as the Mega Evolutions, if they do enough to differentiate it, like, for example, the Mewtwo one from Mewtwo itself, then I'm all for it. But if it's like... If it just winds up being like a the same moves over and over, then, then fuck it, I don't care. I mean, the whole point of, of the evolution system is that the um, the evolved form would learn moves that the, the other does not, or at least that was the case with a lot of the later ones. Like, the original one, the only difference between the evolved form and the, the pre-evolved form was that the pre-evolved form was weaker and the evolved form learns the moves later. Well, I put a, a list of some of the um, abilities that the Mega Evolutions would get. I pasted them in the chat. Um, as usual, it's it's true. The, the the Pokemon series, as it continues to grow, it's its legs are... I don't want to say that that its lifespan is getting shorter, because it's not. On the contrary, the, the hype for Pokemon X and Y that I've seen on numerous forums and chats is pretty high. I'm I'm really curious about the um the combo Pokemon where you're able to combine Pokemon to create new ones. Very curious about that. Well, I mean, it kind of makes sense because the whole breeding system you didn't necessarily have to have two Pokemon of the same species to produce a a, a child which was brought up a lot of, you know, strange questions that kids might ask. And um, if they're, they're making them finally create, you know, new creatures and stuff, then that's cool. But sometimes the mechanics that they put in the game is just, it's like, how, do you, how are you marketing this to children? It's like, just the breeding system alone, to me, made the game not for kids. Not in a sense like it was violent or, or like, inappropriate. It's just the, the age range that, let's say, the cartoon is aimed at wouldn't really be able to properly work the, the breeding system. But then again... I'm thinking about when we were kids and, you know, I know like three-year-olds that functionally work iPads now, so maybe maybe it is fine for kids. Well, you know, talking about the whole thing with Nintendo, it's crazy that, you know, their handheld system has this... um, You know, it's, it's grown up so much and the games are making such a huge splash. Meanwhile, their home system is just plagued with companies left and right just saying, you know, we're not going to make nothing for you guys. I think the problem with the Wii U goes into, like, the problems that the PlayStation 3 had early on because I've seen a lot of analysts, like, really break down the capability of the Wii U, and they're saying that in terms of, like, processing power... It's not as as powerful as 
the PS4 or the Xbox One, but it's like just a couple of notches shy of it. So for these companies to say that, you know, they're not making games, really, I mean, yes, it hurts Nintendo, but it's stupid on their part, too. And I think it has to do with, like, making the games for the system is difficult the way making games for the PS3 was difficult. So in a way, it's it, it winds up being a form of laziness on the part of these developers. And, and like I said, it hurts both parties because it hurts Nintendo more because, you know, the Wii U just keeps getting shit on, but it hurts these, these companies too because you're limiting the amount of sales you could potentially get. And it, it's it's basically, it works both ways. When there's no games, nobody buys the Wii U, but nobody's buying the Wii U because there's no games. If, if there were more games, more people would buy the Wii U. Like, I'm about to, to post an article about 10 games that I want to see in, in the next gen, and one of the games I put up, even though personally I'm not a huge fan of it, not saying I don't like it, but I just haven't played many of the games, is Metroid. It's like, there hasn't been a Metroid since, I think, 2010. And that's just one of the series that Nintendo really needs to get out there to help revitalize the Wii U. I can agree with that. It's like, if, if in 2014, Nintendo got out, let's say, a Metroid an actual new Zelda, not the Wind Waker in HD. Um, I'm already doing Mario Smash Brothers and Mario Kart. And they, like we've said before, if they could really go dig it in the crates, go back to the NES and Super NES and even GameCube and, and Nintendo 64 days and bring back some of those franchises. Dude, I've always it's said like, F-Zero. I don't even mean the the Nintendo first-party franchise. Even, like, the like the second-party stuff, the stuff that was exclusive to Nintendo but wasn't made by Nintendo. There's so many titles that could see a, a really nice rebirth on the Wii U. Such as? Uh, two titles that I, that I you know, again, will be in the article. One was a game where it would be by Square Enix, but at the time it was just Enix, Actraiser. Oh, wow. Which was like, um, yeah, I loved that game. I played it over and over and over again. And it was like a mix between SimCity and Castlevania. That game was awesome to me. And especially with the Wii U controller, that could see a really nice um, rebirth on the Wii U. Another one was going back to the Nintendo days, the Goonies. Holy cow. Do you remember the Goonies game? You know, you just ran around trying to avoid the Fratellis and attacking crazy monsters with your yo-yo. But it's like on the Wii U... You could actually have all the Goonies playable, whether you have them um, 
what do you call it? Like the one person switches between them to accomplish certain goals, or whether you had a multiplayer game where you all play at once. I mean, these are games that could just really kill it on the Wii U. Right. So it's like, I mean, I don't know what Nintendo's waiting for. I don't know what they're doing. I mean, you also got to get a, a real, and I say a real Star Fox game back up in there. Something like Star Fox 64. And it's like, I mean, it literally, like you say, it literally sells itself. You put these games out, people will pick up the console. Like, you put out a Metroid, people will buy the Wii U. Absolutely. Put out a Star Fox, people will buy the Wii U. This is true. Probably not as many as Metroid, but it's like, put these games out and then put, like, these, these um, the other ones I mentioned, which are less popular, but... You know, if people have the system, they'll buy it. Right. Well, you know, it's it's funny because Nintendo, they've taken the... They, besides what they've been dealing with, with the, the Wii U and, and the systems... I don't want to say the system's failures, but the system's shortcomings. One thing that they've started to get more aggressive with is their fight against uh, piracy. And they actually filed a lawsuit against um, HackYourConsole.com because they were selling DS and 3DS flashcards. And it's funny because they've that's one thing that Nintendo has always been very protective of. And, it, and they actually said about mentioned it in an interview earlier this week about their properties. Like somebody asked them, hey, would we ever think of seeing Nintendo in any other, you know, in Nintendo properties on any other systems? And they were like, well... You know, our software and our hardware divisions are under one umbrella and they work well off each other. So, you know, there's no necessity for us to to put our our characters on other products. So as aggressive as Nintendo's got, not only from keeping their shit from being bootlegged, but just from their from not even acknowledging their software, their characters appearing on other systems. Where do you think Nintendo's flaw truly lies because if you're saying it's not, you know, it's it's not really hardware except for the battery issue, and we all know it's software. Do you think them cranking out more games is enough to stop the bleeding? I think it would be. Like, I, I really think. Okay. If 2014 saw like at least at the very least once a quarter, so four solid first party titles followed by, like, you know, in between those quarters, at least one or two solid second-party games or third-party games like the ones I was mentioning, stuff like that, that would revitalize. 2014 could easily revitalize the Wii U. Because the Wii U has plenty of life left in it. It doesn't take up really any space on your, you know, in your... um home entertainment system and like I said analysts are saying that it has capability just just below being on par with the Xbox One and the PS4 so it definitely can hang okay. and I mean with some of the, the offerings we saw at the, the um, Nintendo event at E3 that's proof that it can hang 
it's just like, give us some games. I mean, it seems like you're making the effort to not have the the inundation of the shovelware that happened with the Wii, but at the same time, it's like you don't have the shovelware that you have with the Wii, so you don't have anything. Yep. No shovelware, no games. But, you know, it's, it's, like, it's, it's to be expected. I don't I, know what they're waiting for. I do applaud them for, for taking the, an aggressive stance with regards to, to piracy. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I've owned a flash cart when I had a, the, you know, the Game Boy, the, the, uh, the small one, the SP. But that was how many years ago? But I didn't even think that the whole flash cart thing was still going on as hardcore as it's been. Well, the Wii, the Wii turned into a glorified like main system. Yep. Because just about everybody was just pirating games from all kinds of consoles on the Wii, and that was that. That in the later years, that wound up being the only reason why people really bought a Wii, unless you know you were one of the people that was using like Wii Fit and stuff. Right. And Nintendo knew about it, but, you know, the console's out, the console's late in its life cycle. There's not too much that you're really going to bother to do about it. So, you know, you want to make sure that the new one does it. Because even if it makes people buy your systems, if people are then not buying your games, you're still not making money. Right. So you're you're you still not stopping the bleeding. Have people buying your console for the right the right reason. Of course, I can agree with that. Because those flash cards aren't making Nintendo any money. Nope. And they're like, "Yo, you want to play some old games? We got this thing called the eShop. Right. You got to pay for them there. You're not getting them free. I got. I have no beef with that. Even well, if I were one of those people that was using those flash cards, I would have no beef with that because. As far as, I guess I'm shooting myself with a foot here, but as far as, like, when I watch something that's bootlegged, I watch it because I don't know if I want to own it. Right. And after I watch it, if I liked it, I'd buy it. This is true. I mean, even I, when, I had, when I had a flash car way back with the, with the SP, I used to play, like, Game Gear games on it. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like I was playing new shit <laughs> i was playing you know uh game gear games and old super nintendo shit that would kind of work but you know i i applaud them but they're but this is one of the first times that they've like shouted out a retailer completely so hackyourconsole.com besides them selling the flash cars they were selling portable hard drives that had over 200 preloaded wii u games and you know nintendo was having none of that not to mention, they provided services to hack and modify the consoles as well. Well, see, a, a company like that, I mean, for you to openly advertise yep. something like that, you're begging it's pretty for it. Idiotic. Yes, sir. To call yourself hackyourconsole.com <laughs> and go on the internet. <laughs> I mean, first and foremost, you got balls. You got some big ass adamantium balls, but you're also pretty stupid because someone's coming after you. Yes, sir. And Nintendo is that someone, and you know so what? It's like 
somebody's going to sound like Biggie on a mixtape. Clue, I'm coming for you. That's right. It's true. Well, you know what the crazy thing with this is? That it's going to open up the floodgates because Nintendo's actively going after companies like that that are out there doing these flashcards and stuff. So it's like, yeah, hack your console. Obviously, blatant trolling. Like, hey, this is what you do here. But sites that kind of offer those services on the down low, they better they better start finding ways to fucking remove that shit. Yeah, I mean, either that or, you know, do the the, the straight up. If you, if you want to be, let's see. If you want to be shady, be, um, don't be outright with it. If you want to be shifty, yeah. No, you can't be outright with it. You got to be like, like a speakeasy. You got to have the little slot. You got to know the password and stuff like that. You You cannot try to do something like that. And be out in the open. That's like, I know I'm going to be fucked up for this, but that's like opening a store in the hood and say, entitling the store, you know, putting on the the storefront. We sell guns to 14-year-olds. Yep. True. It's like you're not going to last. I'm surprised they got away with it this long. Because they were selling flashcards for the DS and 3DS and the preloaded hard drives. It's a wild state of affairs, my friend. Exactly. Anything else you want to add? Well, the only other thing is that that's, that's another thing. It's like the Wii, the Wii, um, Nintendo in general needs to stop relying on like flash talk and stuff. Yeah, because that's inviting, that's inviting bootleg That is definitely inviting bootlegs. That's for shit, sure. I mean, that's why they made it so that the um, the Wii has a built-in hard drive. And granted, it's not big enough, but they made it so that you can't swap it out. Yep. Because I'm sure someone out there probably is doing the same thing with the PS3. Yeah, but the PS3, man, they've locked that shit down substantially. Yeah, but if you if you if you never updated it, oh yeah, of course. But then that also means you're not playing any of the new games. But nope. I mean, it's a double-edged sword. No matter what, whenever you're doing something like that, you're taking a risk. So that's why with my console, I just say fuck it. I'll buy the new games. If I don't buy them new. I wait till he drop in price or something. There you go. But that's also the fault of <laughs> excuse me. Companies like Microsoft and Sony. It's like when you take away this ability to get get used games and it's like you kinda of force people's hands into doing this bootleg shit. True. People don't have money. That is also true. It's weird, man. It's a, it's a, go ahead. When the day comes that discs and flashcards and stuff are gone and everything's cloud-based, you're going to have to let people play a game for like an hour or so for free 
before you force them to buy it because otherwise people aren't going to buy games at all. Right. Well, I mean, they're trying to do all these different things. They're trying to do all these different uh, gimmicks to, you know, make, make the gaming experience more pleasant. It's just interesting that in Nintendo's case, their their energy, I don't want to say their energies are misdirected, but it's like, if you're if you can go this hard to go after pirates that are affecting your bottom line, it's like, be just as aggressive in getting games out there to grow your bottom line. That's all I got to say. Do something. Yes, sir. All right. Anything else you want to add, my friend? No, I'm good for now. All right, dude. I will catch up with you. All right, peace. Peace. All right, guys. That was Slick. You can follow him on Twitter at MTR Slick. Last bit of gaming news. To wrap up the segment, if you are counting the days for your next Call of Duty Black Ops 2 DLC pack, you don't have to wait too long. The next pack will be dropping exclusive on Xbox Live on August 27th. It will be the game's fourth and final DLC pack. You're getting four new multiplayer maps and a brand new zombie experience, Origins. So, the four multiplayer maps you're getting is Pod, Takeoff, which is a take on the stadium from the original Call of Duty Black Ops First Strike DLC, uh, Dig and Apocalypse, which features Origins, which allow it, you actually get deployed in World War One France, and it encounter where they you're going to encounter the return of the four original guys from the first Zombies map: Tank, Nikolai, Takeo, and Richtofen, and of course you're going to take on. The hordes of zombies as they run through fields and trenches. So you'll be able to bag that exclusively on Xbox Live on August 27th. Again, fourth and final DLC pack for Call of Duty Black Ops 2. All right, that's going to wrap up the gaming segment for this week. Let's get into some entertainment news of which there are plenty. Let's get that ball rolling. So the first bit of um, entertainment news I really wanted to talk about in the MMA segment, but I felt it'd be more fitting to save for the entertainment segment, and that involves uh, UFC Women's Champion Ronda Rousey. Now, we mentioned a couple of weeks back that Ronda Rousey was going to be showing up in The Expendables. Now we found out that the role that she has in the film is pretty pretty significant. Her character, according to what they're saying, her character's name is, is Luna, and she is a bartender who joins up with the old Expendables to battle one of their own. Obviously, it, this includes Sylvester Stallone, uh, Mel Gibson, who's rumored to be the villain, and, of course, the returning Expendables 3 cast. There's some other Expendable news I want to talk about later on in the segment, but that's where Ronda Rousey's involvement stems for Expendables 3. But that is not all. According to Variety, Ronda Rousey is also rumored to have a supporting role in Fast and Furious 7, following Gina Carano into the franchise. Um, pretty pretty badass, I think, in terms of Ronda Rousey getting mainstream exposure. But, like everything else, 
Once some of these individuals get a taste of Hollywood, their MMA shelf life is limited. So we'll see how she fares in Expendables 3. And of course, she is heading to Fast 7 as well. Once it's officially confirmed, I'll make sure to let you guys know. But Variety is reporting that it's pretty much a lock as of right now. Of course, uh, Fast 7, um, Vin Diesel, Paul Walker are coming back. And James Wan is directing. He did the Saw film. So... Definitely very interesting. Ronda Rousey getting some tremendous mainstream exposure in in two big series. So we'll see where it goes. And if we get more news with regards to her involvement in both projects, I will share that with you. In some small screen news, Billy Bob Thornton will be working on the FX miniseries adaptation of Fargo, which is based on the Coen Brothers movie of the same name. So there you have it. Fargo is heading to the small screen and Billy Bob Thornton will be involved. The series will be starting production this fall with a scheduled debut on FX next spring. In some sequel news, we are getting another born legacy grumpy cat himself. Jeremy Renner will be back as Aaron Cross. Anthony Peckham, who did worked with um, on Sherlock Holmes. It will be writing the new sequel to the born legacy They were originally hoping that Matt Damon would be back to reprise his role as Jason Bourne, but as of right now, that is not the case. There's no official word. If Tony Gilroy, who wrote and directed all the films and uh, who wrote all the previous Bourne films and directed Legacy is coming back in any capacity. So there you have it. We will be getting another Bourne Legacy. So Man of Steel 2 has to be discussed this week because As they've been saying in numerous publications, they're looking to go with an older Batman. And um, a couple of interesting names have popped up. Some are names we thought we've already known. Others are names that are definitely news to us. Um, In particular, Ryan Gosling, he's a he's a guy that's been talked about a couple of times on and off casually. Um, Definitely one of the guys that's rumored to be a top contender. The other is Josh Brolin. Of course, both of these guys were in Gangster Squad. So definitely very interesting as of right now. The script is still being worked on by Zack Snyder. And, um, you know, everything is still kind of pretty early. But they definitely want to go with an older Batman. So the way they're going is with a Bruce Wayne that's in his late 30s, early 40s. And... um, and it's not going to retell the origin. It's just going to keep an established uh, Batman character. Other actors that have been rumored have been Matthew Good, who played Ozymandias in Watchmen, uh, Richard Armitage, who played Thorin in The Hobbit, uh, Max Martini from Pacific Rim, and get this, Joe Manganiello from True Blood. Uh, very, very random. So, um, you know, all those previous actors have worked with Scott Snyder in some capacity. Um, others have just been involved, um, in other projects. Of course, Matthew Good worked with Snyder on Watchmen. Um, Richard Armitage was in The Hobbit and he's worked with Warner Brothers and Joe Manganiello, no, excuse me, Joe Manganiello was considered at, for the role of Superman in Man of Steel. So definitely very, very interesting, um, Casting is definitely still in its infancy. There's even rumors of actors Mark Strong and Brian Cranston being considered for the role of Lex Luthor. I actually posed a question on the Facebook fan page of which of those two actors you would prefer as Lex Luthor in the sequel to Superman. Um, definitely two actors. Both actors are very awesome. I've always felt that John Hamm would make a good Batman 
especially because he's he's so good at, as Don Draper, which can easily be um, spun into him playing Bruce Wayne. So, again, these are the actors thus far in contention, including, like I said, Cranston and Strong for the role of Lex Luthor. Let's get into some box office totals for this week. Two Guns cleaned up this weekend, $27.4 million, unseating the Wolverine, knocking it to the number two slot. Wolverine made $21.7 million. It has a $95 million total. The Smurfs 2 came in in the third slot at $18.2 million. The Conjuring was number four. Despicable Me 2 was number five. It's made $326 million already. Grown Ups 2 was in the number six slot. Its grand total is now at $116 million. Turbo was number seven. Red 2 was number eight. Heat, The Heat was number nine with $149 million total thus far, and Pacific Rim was number 10, earning $4.6 million, bringing its total to $93 million. But I got some interesting Pacific Rim news, which I'll share with you guys later on in the segment. Sequel-wise, we are getting another Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible 5 is heading to the big screen. Christopher McQuarrie is planned... Uh, right now to be either writing or directing the film. He actually worked with Tom Cruise recently in Jack Reacher and in Valkyrie. So, of course, he also won an Oscar for writing The The Usual Suspects. So, as of right now, it's not 100% confirmed if he will direct, write, or do both. So, definitely very interesting to say the least. In some remake news, we talked about the Poltergeist remake. Um, A couple of weeks back, it seems that Sam Rockwell is in early talks to play the role that Craig T. Nelson played in the original Poltergeist, and um, I'm a big fan of Sam Rockwell. I think he's a extremely talented and underutilized actor. One of my favorite roles was Confessions of a Dangerous Mind that he did, uh, playing Chuck Barris. Also really liked him in Choke, which is the film adaptation of Chuck Palahniuk's book of the same title. Extremely underrated. I really liked him as Justin Hammer in Iron Man 2 as well. Um, big things. Hopefully uh, this Poltergeist remake doesn't suck. And we can start seeing more of Sam Rockwell on the big screen. So, I wanted to talk a little bit about this bit of news. Because I really want to throw this in the what the fuck movie news category. Um, Yahoo Movies did an interview earlier this week uh, with Army Hammer and Johnny Depp. Uh, with regards to the failure of the Lone Ranger. Now, Hammer, Depp, Bruckheimer, and Gore Verbinski all blamed the critics for the failure of this film. The film opened with $29 million at the box office, which, considering its budget, is considered a disappointment. They think that the, that the critics reviewed the film based on behind-the-scenes issues. Johnny Depp said, I think the reviews were written seven to eight months before we released the film. I think the reviews were written when they heard Gore Verbinski and Jerry Bruckheimer and me were going to do The Lone Ranger. They had expectations that it must be a blockbuster. I didn't have any expectations of that. I never do. Bruckheimer thinks critics will eventually give the film a second chance. I think they're reviewing the budget, not reviewing the movie. The audience doesn't care what the budget is. They pay the same amount if it costs a, t- a dollar or $20 million. It's unfortunate because the movie is a terrific movie. It's a great epic film. It has lots of humor, and it's one of those movies that whatever critics missed in it the first time, they'll review it in a few years and see that they made a mistake. I, I really have issue with this argument 
for a couple of reasons. The concept of the Lone Ranger, while in essence would be a movie that's that's great for, for kids to get behind, I think that the subject matter of just Westerns as a whole is not where it needs to be. Like, you have to look at Westerns like Unforgiven, Wyatt Earp, um, you know, the, the classics, those type of, of Westerns. They're always Westerns that are violent, you know, violent, brutal. They really are in that genre. I kind of find it hard to take something as iconic as the Lone Ranger and adapt it for a new audience and expect it to really take off. I don't think that it's a question that the film the film is steaming horse shit. I haven't seen it. But the funny thing is that they're saying, oh, you know, critics are, are using it based on stuff on reviews that were written seven to eight months ago. And I feel that that is an ass backwards statement. I can name a couple of different sites that have reviewed the film that gave two shits about what was going on behind the scenes and reviewed it in a way that was honest and forthright. And they still felt that the movie lacked polish in a lot of areas. I mean, film drunk, um, Vince Mancini and those guys, they're awesome. They reviewed the movie, you know, they, they were as brutally honest as possible. Same thing with 411 mania and a couple of other sites that have gone to see the Lone Ranger and those sites, they said the same thing that, you know, it, it's big budget, but the big budget doesn't, you know, it's not enough polish to hide the fact that the movie just wasn't that great. It's crazy. I mean, sure. Can, are, are people watching that movie and they think it sucks and then they watch it later on and think it was good? Yeah. I mean, I'll be a hundred percent honest. Slick reviewed John Carter and a lot of people said John Carter sucked. And they had a lot of negative things to say about John Carter. And you know what? I kind of fell in, in that same umbrella. I was like, ah, it was, this movie's bullshit. Is it the greatest movie ever? No. But I did get to, to watch it not too long ago. And it, it wasn't bad. It was extremely enjoyable. I liked a lot of stuff in the movie. Again, my opinion versus the opinions of our audience is going to vary. But I liked it. I thought it, was, I thought it was cool. Did I think that it deserved... The, the the drubbing that it got not really but I also felt that Taylor Kitsch was he couldn't really carry the movie effectively again that's just my opinion now in the case of, of the Lone Ranger I don't feel that Army Hammer has the capability of carrying a film by himself yet one because he's not relatively known like he, he has a decent resume but he's not super well known it's not like Johnny Depp in Pirates of the Caribbean where he was kind of the focus and then everybody else kind of fell in line. You know, Orlando Bloom, Kara Knightley. Johnny Depp was the star in that film. Everybody else kind of played their parts as as you know as well as they could. And, they, and it worked out well. There was great chemistry. But the problem is, Westerns as a whole, I've never felt, can connect with new audiences. And if you're trying to get this to connect with kids... And have them invest the same amount of money that they invested in Pirates of the Caribbean. It's not going to work. That's what I felt was really going to hurt this film. I just felt that I'm like, eh, Westerns. Eh. People haven't learned. Cowboys and Aliens. When when Cowboys and Aliens dropped, everybody's like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like Pirates and Ninjas. Then they went to see it. And then they were like, ugh, that movie was fucking horse shit. I saw it and I felt it definitely was not good in the least. But again... Things like this, they sound good in theory, not in execution. And for 
you know, Depp and Army Hammer and these guys to cite critics as being the reason that the film failed. Listen, the reason the film failed was just because the people that saw it didn't like it and told other people. That's it. Look at Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim, you would have thought with the amount of fanfare and and all the great stuff people were saying about it was going to do well at the box office. It did good. It didn't do great. But again, word of mouth was was a great motivator. People were like, "Yo, this movie was fucking awesome." I mean, I've I've talked to a couple of people. I was like, "Hey, Pacific Rim kicked ass. You should go check it out." And if I know it's people that are fans of like kaiju movies and Godzilla flicks, I definitely tell them to go check it out. And they come back and they're like, "Damn, dude, you were right. It was pretty badass." Lone Ranger, eh, you know, it's 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 weird that that they would really try and place the blame on the critics. And not take some of that accountability themselves. Johnny Depp is Johnny Depp. It is what it is. But Army Hammer was... I felt he was definitely the weaker link. But again, that's just me. But it just boggled my mind that they were all like... Unanimously like, yeah, you know, the critics didn't give this a shot. Are you crazy? There are people that went to see this movie a week before it came out. It had nothing to do with the shit from seven or eight months ago. And they still felt the movie was balls. Get out of here. So, switching gears a bit, I wanted to talk about Marvel movies, because, you know, it wouldn't be a show without discussion about Marvel movies, and it was an article I read in Wired Magazine, where um, they interviewed Kevin Feige, of course, he's president of Marvel Studios, and he actually said that Marvel has actually planned their schedule of movies well past 2016 and 2017. He said that by the time they hit the Phase 3 of the Marvel films, they're going all the way into 2021. That is insane, which raises a lot of questions. Cause of course you got the Avengers guardians of the galaxy, Thor, captain America. Another iron man is up in the air. Maybe we're going to get Ant-Man, which, you know, we're, we're most likely going to get, uh, the rumored Dr. Strange movie. Maybe we'll get another, you know, we'll probably get another Avengers out of there. Um, it, it's weird because they're going all the way into 2021 and it makes me wonder, are they going to do single sequels for their individual properties? Like, are we going to get, you know, a Thor three or a Thor four or a Captain America three and a Captain America four? Or are we going to start getting more ensemble stuff? You know, the Avengers, um, stuff like that going forward. I mean, it, it's crazy that they've got this laid out all the way to 2021. I really hope we get to see another blade now that Marvel has those rights back in. I really would like Marvel. And I've talked about this before to, to bring like a, like a Marvel dark imprint or, you know, Marvel max for those characters that are on on the, on the darker side and, and give those characters a a fair treatment. I think that if Marvel does that and kind of in ingrains them into their existing universe. They could do a lot of great work. I mean, Daredevil's a shining example. Uh, so's the Punisher, Blade. These are all guys that exist in in exi- you know that are in Marvel continuity now in some in some degree. And I think that they're characters that have done right with the right Marvel marketing behind it. They'd be successful. We'll see what happens. I mean, the fact that they got this all the way out until 2021 is huge, all its own. But I definitely got to give kudos to Disney for actually, you know, believing in, in, in Marvel to this point and not trying to take over too much. It's definitely very, very interesting. And it gives me a lot of hope that we'll see maybe a Black Panther or a Luke Cage movie on the silver screen. We shall see what happens. So as I mentioned earlier, 
about Expendables. We we have another bit of Expendables news, and that's some casting changes that have gone down. So here's the here's the skinny. Bruce Willis is not coming back for Expendables three, and it's funny because Stallone. You know, I follow Sylvester Stallone on Twitter, and he said Willis out, Harrison Ford in. Great news. Been waiting years for this. Then he put out a tweet a tweet later on that said greedy and lazy. That's what he said. Greedy and lazy people are a sure formula for career failure. Now, everybody thought that he was talking about Bruce Willis, but he didn't name Bruce Willis outright. Now, it seems that Bruce Willis actually left the Expendables over money. According to what's being said, Bruce Willis was offered $3 million for four days of work in Bulgaria. And he said that he would drop out of the movie unless he got $4 million. Obviously, that amounts to a million dollars a day. Stallone and everybody involved said no. So then Sylvester Stallone reached out to Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford signed up. And, um, you know, I'm sure that Bruce Willis was shocked that they replaced him in 72 hours. But with Harrison Ford, who's a better actor and is probably either probably taking the three million or not. Who knows? But again, being replaced by a better quality actor, it's crazy. You know, Bruce Willis, he was in Red 2 and um, he did a good day to die hard. He did G.I. Joe retaliation. So, you know, it's not like he's he's hurting for money. But, you know, he's one of those guys that he's a staple. When you talk about old, late 80s, early 90s action movies, you think Bruce Willis, Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Van Damme. You know, you think of these guys that are in The Expendables. The Expendables 3 right now has a budget of over $90 million and is scheduled to be released um, next August. Of course, you know, Schwarzenegger, Jason Statham, Mickey Rourke, Wesley Snipes is involved. It's it's crazy that that Bruce Willis and this is this is how petty shit is. It's like, dude, you're getting three million dollars for four days, four, four days of money for, uh, you know, three million dollars for four days of work. And I guarantee you that the bulk of the shit you're doing is probably not super physical. I doubt you're out there having choreographed fights like Stallone did to the point where he nearly got himself killed by Stone Cold Steve Austin in the first Expendables movie. Seriously, like, really, dude? You're really bitching about an extra million? Get the fuck out of here. It kind of bums me out, but Bruce Willis has had the, the, um, you know, he's had the reputation of being a bit of a dick. So should I be shocked? No. But it's cool to see that Harrison Ford is is getting involved in this project because... Of all the actors I would have I would have never thought to be involved in the Expendables, Harrison Ford is definitely that guy. Because you gotta think about it. Harrison Ford he's 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 a more serious actor. And don't get me wrong, he's done great stuff. You know, Star Wars, um Witness, Indiana Jones, uh you know, Air Force One. I could go down a great list of movies that that um Harrison Ford has done. Same thing with Liam Neeson. I'm shocked Liam Neeson hasn't been dragged into the Expendables yet because he's another guy that's really starting to to hit his stride now that he's older with action films. Same thing with Denzel Washington or Mark Wahlberg. But seriously, Bruce Willis, you're you're bitching about an extra million dollars for four days of work. It's fucking insane. But like I said, I'll trade I'll trade in I'll trade out John McClane for Han Solo. I got no problem with that. 
So this should come as no shock, but Sharknado's sequel has finally got a title. And to, to coincide with the campiness of Sharknado as a whole, the second movie is called Sharknado 2, the second one. <laughs> Fucking shit. I kid you not. Sharknado 2 is just Sharknado 2, the second one. The title was selected from more than 5,000 fan entries on Twitter. The movie will be debuting on Sci-Fi in 2014. So let me get this straight. You hold a contest on Twitter, which I saw. I saw when we when I was watching Sharknado of all the tweets that people were putting up. And you put up a, a, a sequel title and it is the most simplistic shit ever. Sharknado, the second one. Coming to a theater near you, Sharknado 2, the second one. Ah, come on. Like, seriously, I mean, you could have had a a little bit more creativity, but again, I think that the the simplicity of the title falls in line with the simplicity of the fucking movie. I watched Sharknado last weekend, finally, and it was just so far-fetched and so stupid, but it's like... It, it's, you know, it's so silly, but you have to watch it just like Ghost Shark. Like, I think I, I scheduled Ghost Shark to DVR because it's it's just so stupid, but you just can't look away. It's like a dead body on the highway from an accident. You're driving by and you have to slow down and look, even though you're probably going to have nightmares for the foreseeable future. It has to be done. Sharknado 2 has to be watched. Ghost Shark has to be watched. Sharktopus has to be watched. And not for nothing, Ian Ziering needs all the money he can get. And it's not like Ch- like Tara Reid is really doing anything. On the contrary, that bitch needs every role possible to keep herself from ending up on celebrity rehab. So make of it what you will. So um, James Gunn did a Q&A recently for Guardians of the Galaxy. And they asked him about what other comic book properties he'd be interested in writing or directing. So he named um, three very interesting titles. We three hit monkey and the thunderbolts. Now, if you don't know what we three is about, it's um, about three prototype animal weapons. It was, it came out like in 2003, 2004 on, on DC vertigo. And it was done by uh, Grant Morrison and Frank quietly. It was, it was crazy that the film was originally optioned, as um, the the property was optioned as a film with New Line way back when, but seems that that's something he wants to work on. The other character is Hit Monkey, which if you read Deadpool, you know you know about Hit Monkey. He um he had his he had a one shot special and he actually had a little mini series also. And basically the concept is that this monkey kills assassins. <laughs> I kid you not. Hit Monkey is exactly what it sounds like. A monkey that kills assassins. <laughs> Fuck. But the concept of Thunderbolts is actually the one I'm really interested in because Thunderbolts is an awesome comic. And um, if you're not familiar with Thunderbolts, basically the concept was that it was a team of supervillains that masqueraded as superheroes, but some of these guys actually enjoyed being heroes. So, you know, the team later on, of course, they reformed some of them and became actual heroes. The roster has been a who's who over the years, but I mean, uh, Baron Zemo has been one, you know, um, songbird has been another, the beetle, 
just a lot of a lot of different character, a lot of different villains have have really, you know, thrown on the Thunderbolt moniker. Um, it was really big during Marvel Civil War with uh, Norman Osborn being involved as Iron Patriot, and um, I, I think that Thunderbolts for the big screen would work, especially if you use characters that you can easily integrate into other films. You know, Bullseye. Uh, some of those other characters, I think it would work. And I think that the Thunderbolts, the, the entire concept of villains masquerading as heroes would would just really translate well to the silver screen. And James Gunn, I think he's he's so crazy and so quirky that he could make it work. I think that's one of the reasons why I have some high hopes for Guardians of the Galaxy, because James Gunn is a, is a crazy son of a bitch. And um, I wouldn't mind seeing him do Thunderbolts. I don't know about Hitmonkey. Or or we three, but definitely Thunderbolts for sure. So the last bit of movie news to wrap things up: Pacific Rim heads into the record books, making three hundred and thirteen million dollars worldwide after making two hundred million dollars in the foreign box office. The film had a hundred and eighty to two hundred million dollar budget. It made ninety four point eight million dollars domestically, but its foreign sales have been increasingly strong. The film in China alone has made $54.7 million in its first seven days of release. Obviously, these great numbers are guaranteeing Pacific Rim a sequel. So there you have it, ladies and gents. That actually is going to wrap up this week's show. Uh, I'm shocked nobody called in to get the free UFC book, but we'll probably just give it away on the site or maybe we'll do a Twitter giveaway. Anyway... Time to take it home. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 194 for Thursday, August 8th, 2013. I'm your host, Rich, and if you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, you can email us at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also find us on Twitter at mytakeradio. Become a fan on Facebook and add us to your circle on Google+. You can also follow our pins on Pinterest as well. Last but not least, you can always listen to My Take Radio via Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Zoom Marketplace, TuneIn Radio. And if you're getting the show via iTunes, please take a moment and rate the show. We would really appreciate it. But the best My Take Radio experience comes from the MTR app. You can pick it up for $1.99 for Android and iOS devices. And it's also available for Windows Mobile and for Windows Eight as well. We actually got the announcement yesterday morning. You can actually download the My Take Radio app as an official Windows 8 app, and it's also available for Windows Mobile, so make sure to look for that as well. And lastly, we're going to be releasing our interview with Mike Kingston from Headlocked. It was going to be app exclusive, but since Mike Kingston is working on a Kickstarter for the next chapter of Headlocked, we will be releasing it to the general public so be on the lookout for that this weekend and if you're interested in helping out mike kingston and the headlock project you can donate via kickstarter and we will put those links in the show notes all right guys i will catch you guys next week it's been real as always peace taking us out this week the contra force Power Trip track available at ocremix.org. Mm-hmm.